You are listening to Zen and the Art of Triathlon. are you tri freaks and geeks and welcome to another great episode of zen and the art of triathlon the podcast where we help you go longer in ultra endurance sports all right let's get started with today's episode i'm super excited we have (laughs) the king of ultra today rob gray just won ultraman i almost said iron man ultraman florida and that is uh, a really cool guest because he goes into detail about how he sets up his bike, how he paced himself, and also the nutrition end of things. And he's big into manipulating diet and metabolism so that you get the most energy. And this stuff works. It's really cool. So I'm super excited to bring you this guest. And let's see, I'm in the uh, training cave looking at my uh, time trial bike, about to get on it here in just a little bit and knock out another workout because I'm officially signed up for a big, big, big race coming up in October. And I'll tell you about that at the tail end of the news. Here we go. All right, Ironman Canada just added a 70.3 version of the race Basically the same day, I believe. It's Sunday, July 24th, a half Ironman in Whistler. So that's the west coast of Canada. And yeah, that was just uh, released in the news uh, just a few days ago. So that's a big deal. Uh, trying to combine a full and a half in the same event uh, might be pretty smart. It seems like they do that kind of here and there. And I agree. Be uh, very cool to do the 70.3 check out a race, and then decide if you want to do the uh, full distance or not. Very, very cool. All right. If you want to go faster in that race, then you might want to check out Flo's New Wheels, FLO. A long time ago, when they first came out, uh, they were a guest on the show. I thought it was really interesting, a small company, and how they were getting started in triathlon and road cycling and they actually have upgraded their wheels, which are really in high demand because they're a really good price, to be full carbon fairing uh, instead of aluminum brake track and then uh, carbon fairing. These are full carbon clinchers and uh, structural carbon instead of uh, the just the fairing bit uh, wrapping around the spokes. The, the uh, spokes actually wire into the carbon like uh, zips and NVs do. Uh, which actually adds a little bit of suspension to your ride. People never talk about that, but uh, I was at a, I was at a one-on-one talk with some Zip people, gosh, years ago, and they were talking about how you can actually, if, if you use structural carbon, it actually improves the ride of your uh, of your wheels a little bit. And so Flow is going there, and also they did tons of aero testing. This is a really cool thing. They put um, a yaw meter on the front of the bike and then rode at least Ironman Arizona, maybe some other uh, big bike courses and saw where uh, the wind was coming from the most and then designed the wheels around that. And turns out it's mostly between uh, uh, 10 degrees, y'all, or less. I don't know. I have to go check out, go check out their website, FLO. 
is where you find them at. All right, and Canyon just came out with their their new tri bike, the Speed Max uh, SL6 or SLX, I forgot what it's called, but anyway, it's called the Speed Max, and it's uh, man, it fits me perfectly. I want one so badly, and it's an incredible price for what you get, and it's not available in the USA. <laughs> I'm like, dang it. But uh, I like it a lot because the bento box, the hydration, and the computer mount for out front is all streamlined, uh, all in one nice little package running down the body of the of the front of the bike. And it's got aerodynamic brake covers. It's just everything uh, all combined into one nice little package. And, and it's a good price. So uh, when will they ship to the United States? I don't know. But, oh well, I guess we'll see. Wait and see. And speaking of Canyon, uh, their big-time triathlete, Jan Ferdino, has had a calf tear. And so he's injured and out of racing for a little while. It's a little bit hard to tell how long. I like Ferdino a lot because he's really tall. And he rides a Canyon, which fits a really tall person. So I was all in on this. <laughs> I'm like, if somebody that's six foot three can fit and win Kona on this bike, then I should get this bike and have nothing ever to complain about. If I'm not winning Kona, then it's all my fault. Ah, eliminate the variables, right? So that's uh, the news on, on Jan, and um, it looks like he'll be fine pretty soon, and we'll see him around the bend and probably winning another million dollars in the Triple Crown again. Or no, he didn't win it this year. That was uh, the female that won that. And maybe this year he'll win it. But winning uh, Kona probably again. All right, let's go ahead and get on. a little bit of personal news. Uh, my injuries are getting better. Uh, left arm is almost as strong as my right, but still not there. I fell down and broke my arm. That's a genius move. It also messed up my elbow joint really bad. I still can't straighten out my arm. Probably never will. And then... Uh, I got plantar fasciitis and a heel spur, uh, plantar fasciitis, a little bit in both feet and a heel spur on my left foot. And that is improving greatly. I'm fixing that by, um, running, uh, very slowly when I do run and, uh, just letting things kind of heal up and just not running fast. Every time I run fast, it hurts worse the next day. So just, uh, holding back, running like 10 minute miles, uh, right around there and, uh, starting off running slightly uphill Running downhill uh, jams my heel into the ground, especially if I'm running with my giant uh, crazy dog, and he pulls me along and slams my heel into the ground. And uh, let's see, did a little uh, local 5K for charity, and um, it was small, and it was uh, plenty of people, but uh, apparently as you get older, uh, fewer and fewer older people uh, run. And I got first in my age group <laughs> with a 32-minute 5K, which uh, just goes to show that you can't win unless you show up. So show up, man. You never know who's not going to show up, and then you win just by being there. It's pretty cool. And the final bit of triathlon news is that there's a cool race going on in October that I managed to sneak into. I'm super excited about this. It is Uberman. So it's a 21-mile swim from Catalina Island off the coast of California to Santa Barbara, North LA, that area. And that in itself is a big deal. <laughs> and then a 
400 mile bike ride pretty much along the same course as the Furnace Creek 508 if you listen to Vinny Torto Rich and then that he's famous for and so basically a 400 mile bike ride and then you end up in Death Valley at Badwater California is Badwater California Badwater and then you run the Badwater 135 course up to the trailhead to Mount Whitney up to uh let's see Death Valley's below sea level and Badwater or uh Mount Whitney portal is what they call trailhead is at uh 8000 something feet elevation and this is all continuous nonstop you sleep when you want uh self-supported with crew and all that and I'm really really excited about it they're only taking 20 people and I managed to get uh snuck in there and uh they said i had pretty good swim credentials so that'll help me <laughs> but man when we get to the run we're gonna have a uh, an interesting time that's gonna be i don't think anybody's gonna be running very well by the end of that so it'll just uh it'll be what it, what it what it is it is what it is and it'll be a lot of fun we're talking about five days uh continuous uh, biking through the night, taking naps and stuff like that. Um, this is one of those things where actually the slower you go, um, probably the better you'll do. And the faster you go, probably the bigger risk for complete exhaustion, blowing up and wrecking and crashing and disaster and such. So actually you got to go uh, pretty slow and uh, just enjoy it, which would be a lot of fun. And I was just listening to an interview with uh, Max King, and he said that when stuff starts getting ugly and bonkish, that uh, there's two types of personalities. There's those that get frustrated and angry, and then there's those that get uh, funny and just laugh about the whole thing and just keep on plugging along uh, in a good mood. And that's the way he is, and that's the way I am too, which is a good thing because I'm going to need help getting this done. I am under no delusion whatsoever that I could do this by myself. I've already asked my buddy Morgan and he wants to be crew chief and he's really, really excited about it. And he mentioned it to somebody else at a party he was at and this other guy said, oh, he wants to pitch in too and help out uh, with crewing or supporting. And that's where we're at. I'm now recruiting people to help Team Zentri because this will definitely be a team effort to do Uberman. Uh, very, we are very lucky to be uh, selected to be uh, in this thing. And we're going to start training for it. I'll bring you on the podcast all kinds of uh, training tips and info and status as I go along. Uh, for example, I can tell you um, it really lit a fire under my ass to uh, start training Again, with some more volume. I have the uh, new tattoo, which is pretty substantial, and I can't swim with it at the moment, but that's only, I'm a week through uh, two weeks of no swimming, and then we'll start swimming again. And um, just lots of easy, easy volume, just day after day after day after day of, of uh, bike and run and bike and run and bike and run, and um, two a days. And not going too hard, just kind of starting to put in the volume and uh, not letting it phase me. Working on fueling, uh, just everything. So I'm really, really excited. <clears throat> Need to keep this a new segment. But let us pause for some uh, coffee. Our Keurig, non-sponsor. 
I might have to turn this podcast to be uh, uh, curse friendly because <laughs> it's going to get ugly as we go into this thing. And um, we'll see if uh, I can actually swing it. I I uh, may not be able to do it because it's going to take a lot of vacation time and I'm doing uh, Ironman Canada this summer and that's going to take vacation time and I was just informed yesterday that I need to take off extra vacation time because Kai wants to go do nationals for kids triathlon in Ohio so now we're taking an extra couple of days to go to Ohio and back um, so we'll see. Uh, but I'm going to start a page, I believe, for Uberman and um, start collecting names and posting links and such. If you go to zentriathlon.com, uh, look at the top, and when you see an Uberman link at the top of it, you'll know that it's live and we can start working on stuff. So yeah, I'll need uh, support. Uh, I might sell t-shirts that say uh, Zen Triathlon or Zentri, uh, and then in cursive underneath, uh, free range humans, because <laughs> that's what it's, that's what my, uh, my Twitter tag, uh, says on there as my location or my bio, it just says free range human. But anyway, that's that. Um, we'll just kind of see where that goes. I'm really excited about it. It may be too big of a thing to do, uh, this year, but, uh, it may not be. I'm just going to start working that way and kind of see where things go and, uh, hold on loosely and don't get rope burned trying to hold on too tight to a goal. And let's go ahead and get started with our interview with Rob Gray. I'm really excited to bring this to you again. He won Ultraman Florida. Really cool uh, metabolism info in here. And after his interview, we need uh, to read an email that he sent in uh, about uh, UCAN and uh, resistance start. It's really detailed and I'll read it to you here in a second, but let's go ahead and get started with Rob. Here we go. Welcome to the next level. Hey, Brett. Hey, can you hear me now? Yeah, I can, yeah. Just, uh, <laughs> I, I tried to call you and it just went to like uh, some weird uh, Skype voicemail or something, bitch. Uh, that's all right. We have uh, we have liftoff now. Yes, we have contact. How's it going? Yeah, you want to go yeah, ahead and get started? Good. Sure. All right. I am here with Rob Gray, the 2016 Ultraman Florida champion, or is it world champion? How do we say it? Do you even know? It, no, it's not. It's not world champion. Not yet. It's uh, just oh, the yeah, Florida, right. just the Ultraman Florida champion. Oh, yeah. So, are you going to go to Ultraman Hawaii? Yeah, that's the goal. That's yeah. That's actually the reason I did Ultraman Florida is to uh, get into Hawaii. You have to have done another Ultraman, uh-huh. uh, and uh, Ultraman Canada was the first one on my list. But that's no longer an Ultraman branded event. Right. Um, so yeah, Florida was just the easiest to get to, and unfortunately, it meant training over the Colorado winter. But uh, yeah, that's uh, that's that's kind of the the goal of of why I went there, and I also just wanted to experience the the race distance. Um, which was, yeah, I'm pretty glad I did that now because it was a very different to other races I've done. So for people that uh, don't know, and that would be new listeners to this episode, an Ultraman is a 10K swim. And then in miles, I know it's a 90-something mile bike ride on yeah. day one. Uh, how how far is that in, in kilos? Oh, that's a good question. You know, being uh, Having grown up with the metric system, I should actually know that. Um, <laughs> 
It's about uh, 100, I think it's 145, 145Ks. Uh-huh. And then a day, so that's day one. And then yeah. day two is, I know uh, it, it kind of varies a little bit, but it's a 170 mile plus bike yeah. ride. Yeah, and which is, that's, that's 275Ks. I, I do know that for some reason. Uh-huh. And then on day three, you wake up again and do an ultra mar- an ultra marathon, a double marathon. Specifically. Yeah, a double marathon. Yeah. yeah, and that that's just that's a long way. Whether you use metric or imperial, it's uh, <laughs> it's, it's equally as long. It's, a, it's a tough run. So, um, I want people to uh, if they want to find out a more uh, about your backstory, um, you've actually been on a lot of podcasts lately. Um, I looked it up. It's on. Uh, I am talk. You've been on episode five hundred one and five hundred four. That's before and after yeah. uh, Florida. And then also, there's a thread that uh, you've led on SlowTwitch.com in the forums on Ask Me Anything About Ultraman Florida, which is an honor, yeah. right? To be able to say uh, to do an AMA thread. Yeah. On SlowTwitch. Yeah. Yeah. So um, lots of information in there on anything that we don't cover in this interview. But um, I wanted to start off with. Um, this was your first ever Ultraman, and you won it. Yeah, yeah. I was pretty surprised. Yeah, going in, I was um, the, the goal was obviously just to experience the distance. Um, you know, I think one of the side effects of, of you know, maybe of tra- having to train in winter is that to actually get any training stimulus, I had to do most of my training at pretty high intensity, just because I couldn't go out and do like a four-hour run, and I couldn't go outside and do like you know, eight hours on the bike. I did most of my training indoors, which meant the intensity was higher, which you know, therefore meant I, you know, I was naturally comfortable at going, at going pretty fast, which you know, on race day turned out to be uh, an advantage, actually. Yeah, I think I do a lot of training indoors, too. I've got a son that I need to be around the house to, to help out, and uh, I've migrated to doing a lot of time on the trainer, on the bike, and... It is crazy effective compared to riding outdoors. Um, oh, yeah. I, but I think that riding the bike indoors is probably one hour of that is probably worth about an hour and maybe outside, be more. Yeah. It's pretty it, nuts. I agree. You, you know, you got no, you got no stoplights. You got no downhills where you can just coast. Um, it's just like every minute you're on there is productive. And yeah, I certainly find, you know, if, if, if you're a time crunched athlete, if you can get your head around being on a trainer, um, and it, and it can be done, mm-hmm. uh, yeah, it's just it's super productive and you know, will definitely help you get the results. In in my opinion. Yeah, well, to give people a background on um, your sports history, uh, you've actually qualified for Kona uh, more than once or twice or, or how many times? Uh, uh, four times. So I've I I did I've done Kona the last uh, the past three years, and then I I qualified again at Ironman Arizona in at the end of last year, but I. I didn't take the slot, so I, I made someone else happy by, by yeah. giving up my slot. Yeah, <laughs> Those I of just, us that I want just, to go, thank you. <laughs> yeah, yeah, he was, this guy was over the moon. His whole family was high-fiving me. And yeah. It actually felt much better than taking it myself. So Yeah, you've been. Um, you've been plenty. Yeah, I just, you can I just always kind go of back. Didn't, yeah. Yeah, yeah, I thought, I thought uh, you know, two trips to Hawaii with like a month apart would just be too much. Just from it, it's a lot of travel time. It's also just oh, financially, okay. it's, it's pretty prohibitive. So, yeah. Yeah, I thought it would give me focus. That, yeah, this allows me to just purely focus on um, on Ultraman Hawaii in November. Right. And I, I am doing Boulder Ironman in, in August. So if I, if I do change my mind, I've got another shot at it. But I, I don't think I'll take that either if I, if I qualify. Right. 
And let's see how you've got a distinctive accent, but it's not from one specific place. You've kind of lived uh, different places. So where where did you uh, grow up and then move to, and, and where have you lived? Yeah, my accent always confuses people. It's uh, you know, depending on where I am, they they either think I'm Australian or British or a Kiwi, but I'm actually a South African. Mm-hmm. And so that's where I grew up. And when I was 24, I moved to the UK and I lived just outside London for 10 years. And uh, then I I moved to California. I was in California for I think I think five years. And then I've been in I've been in Boulder, Colorado for uh, about six months now. So how did you get an opportunity to move to Boulder? Just a job opportunity opened up and you jumped on it, or your company moved you there on purpose, or or what? Uh, no, no, they they did move me there, but I um, yeah, I kind of just made the justification to do that. I you know, the the San Francisco Bay Area is in, you know, increasingly difficult to live in long term. Uh-huh. Um, yeah, there's there's all these these big tech companies like you know, Apple, Google, Facebook, and many others, and it it just gets pretty congested. It's pretty expensive, right? And um, yeah, I actually work at Google, and I. Uh, yeah, I wanted to move to a different Google office, and the the office in Boulder is pretty big and and growing, and it's it's kind of an exciting place to be, and it's yeah, yeah, it's yeah, there are actually people that I do need to work with there, so it it actually makes uh, yeah, it made sense, and it was just good timing that they um, they fortunately allowed me to do that. So right, that yeah, was, that was success. It's it's interesting. I've I've done some studying on on cities uh, in the United States, and university towns are fantastic places to live they have the highest quality of life uh yeah in the united states and it's because you get the small town living but because it's a university town you have um a lot more uh things to do and um education and uh, just stimulus than than a town if it didn't have a university in it that was the exact same size and then you're only like how far is boulder from denver anyway so if you need to go to a big city for something you can just Yes, yeah, so it's about day. yes, forty-five minutes away. Yeah. But but honestly, with uh, yeah, it's not like yeah, I've I've got two young kids, uh, you know, uh, four and two, and mm-hmm. yeah, it's not like I go out clubbing anymore or anything <laughs> like that. So yeah, yeah, they, uh, yeah, I feel like it's a result if I can get if I can get to go out to dinner like once a month. That's like a that's like a huge social result for me. Yeah. Um, and Bold is great. Like the downtown Bold is awesome. There's just so many. There's great places to eat. There's mm-hmm. Yeah, there's a bunch of microbreweries around, and it's yeah, it's for the sort of thing that I like doing. It's it's absolutely perfect, and and everything's kind of in one street or, or close by, so it's so everything's pretty accessible, easy to get to, and it's fun. And as you say, the student element just gives a makes it a pretty fun place. And of course, it's a great place to train, and the the community of athletes is just so strong. There's you know, there's always people that push you to to a new level, and yeah. there's a lot of people better than me, and it's uh, yeah, it's just great to be in that community. Well, cool. Uh, I've always uh, talked about how um, and, and noticed how really good triathletes and endurance athletes typically grow up playing something similar to soccer, basketball, um, uh, football. Uh, that way they're on the field running all over the place. And then they transfer over to uh, doing triathlon as an adult. And they've got all those miles under their legs. And did you grow up playing uh, something like uh, rugby or cricket? or? I. Yeah, I, I grew up. I played. I played rugby, cricket, uh, soccer, uh, water polo. Oh, um, water polo, really? Oh, interesting. Yeah, you know what? That's yeah. That that's actually been the biggest help to like uh-huh. these big Ironman mass starts is kind of like being in a water polo match. Yeah, yeah. Um, 
I would have done yeah, that, that too. That My contact. high school didn't have a team, so I, I didn't get the yeah. chance. I would have loved it. Yeah, it was. I mean, it's just it just gets you comfortable with being in a pretty rough contact, being uh -huh. pushed underwater, that type of thing. Um, I actually did have one Ironman. I did Los Cabos in, I think it was 2013. And some guy, like, we were like halfway through the swim. And, you know, when you're kind of getting, you're getting pushed between two people, there's a guy on my right and a guy on my left. And they were getting closer and closer to each other. And I was in the middle. Uh -huh. And there was nowhere I could go. So we, we kind of all collided. And the one guy actually got up and he, he stopped and he grabbed me and he, he pushed my head under the water and held me under. Which is kind of crazy. I've never had that happen before. But it, you know, that sort of that was kind of like playing in a water polo match, and it, uh, yeah, it, it enabled me to not freak out too much and just continue. But yeah, yeah, that's uh, that mm -hmm. that water polo background did actually stand me in good stead for strange situations like that that crop out every now and again. Yeah, my my friends and I, and I have an older brother that used to beat on me sufficiently, and we would all <laughs> go to the neighborhood pool. We just lived at the neighborhood pool, and we would play this game called sharks and minnows, and. Uh, try to cross the deep end of the pool without a shark grabbing you and they would wrestle <laughs> you to the top so you're basically doing underwater combat punching and kicking because uh, if they drag they would put you in a headlock underwater and try to drag you to the surface and then if they tap you on your head when you're at the surface now you're a shark right <laughs> and that was like the best game as a kid and then uh, an adult friend and I tried to play it the other day and we about about died because it was <laughs> <laughs> We're nowhere near as flexible as we used to be. And when we punch and kick now, yeah. you can really hurt each other. But yeah, I grew up doing that too. And, um, and also basketball, which is a real physical game. Uh, yeah. A lot of elbowing and uh, yeah, pushing and shoving around. And uh, when you combine the two, you pretty much end up with a water polo. <laughs> yeah, that's yeah. true. It is. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I would have loved to have played that. I, we just never had the chance. Um, so I got a question for you about Ultraman. Um, do you think that... Ultraman is becoming the new Iron Man. And what I mean by that is so many people now have done um, Iron Man's or something similar. And the Ultraman is now, I think a lot of people might be interested in it, especially when we go into what you said in an interview that you're training for an Ultraman. And um, I've done a self-supported one. And my, my experience was the same. Is my training was actually somewhat easier than for an Iron Man. Um, or less in a way, like less volume. Yeah. And I found that to actually be better. So, uh, how is your feelings on, on, on Ultraman and it coming on the scene and, and people talking about it all the time? Yeah. I think, I think for the people that, um, you know, that did Iron Man or they may have done several Ironmans for the, for the challenge of it. Mm -hmm. And they kind of now, they're no longer challenged purely by the uh, by the distance, and they they want something that kind of puts them out of their comfort zone. I think Ultraman is a logical next step for them. Uh, you know, others do. Yeah, you know, they get into single sport long events like distance, like marathon swims or ultra marathons, or like doing race across America or something on the bike. But for you know, to get a triathlon that takes to the next level, I think Ultraman's a good next step. You're know, doing these like these Decker man's where you like doing 10 iron man's back to back that's probably a bit extreme for for normal people mm -hmm. but yeah the tr the training was actually surprisingly you know le it's actually less than i've done for for most iron man's and most of that was because i was trying to train over the winter i th you know, i think i would have liked to do more but yeah uh yeah i survived and did pretty well on on less training and if yeah, for swimming it was about the same i just the only thing different i did a few Big swim days where I you know, I try to do more distance, but still the the, the longest swim I had was seven k's. Um, bike bike wise, no you know no 
no real longer rides than for Ironman. Um, maybe an hour or so longer. Like for Ironman, I, try, I do my training, my long training rides are 45 hours, and this I did you know, five to six hours, so not really that much different. Right. Uh, the, the, the big difference was on the run, then the structure of my run training. Uh, for Ironman, I'll, I'll do mainly one long run a week, or, or long run and kind of like a medium run. So maybe the long run's 20 miles, and then on, on like a Saturday, and, you know, I do a longer, a, a shorter run on a Tuesday that's maybe 15 miles or something like that. With Ultraman, the, I structured the run so I do big back-to-back days. So that would be uh, the, you know, the, like a Friday, I would do 19 or 20 miles, and then the Saturday, I'd do 28 miles. And you know, I was trying to build up to 20 and 30, and I, I just didn't have a weather opportunity to do that where, where I actually had that, that time. But that was, you know, it was pretty much there, like 20 and 28. Mm-hmm. Um, and then there's much more recovery in between. So I, would t- I wouldn't run either, either side of that double day. And then the other runs during the week were short, like you know, 8 to 10 miles, and with a little bit more intensity in there. Yeah. So I, yeah, I felt the structure was very different for running for Ironman and Ultraman, but everything else was pretty much the same. Yeah, my strategy was um, I thought my run is is just average to weak compared to my swim and my bike, right? So I decided that I was just not going to worry about swimming all that much <laughs> yeah. and uh, because I grew up uh, swimming on swim teams. So I was like, I'm not going to worry about that all that much. And my run actually hinged on being a better cyclist so that the bike didn't bother me as much. And I went out and really upped my game on the bike and just did lots and lots of bike mileage so that my run, um, and I've done ultra marathons on the side, like along with triathlon training. Over the years, I've done some 50 milers and a hundred miler. Yeah. And so I was like, well, you know, I know when it starts to suck, how to keep going. Yeah. But, um, so that won't be new territory for me. But it'll suck a whole lot less if that bike didn't phase me as much. So I went out and biked like crazy. And that ended up being like uh, really cool. But what I want to say where I found it was similar to what you're saying is, yeah, I did bigger days, but then more rest and yeah. to, re- to recover from it. Is that what you're saying? Kind of what you did was just do yeah. a longer string of stuff and then more rest. Uh, so yeah, particularly on the run, you're more in, in a short space of time and then, and then more rest in between, uh-huh. uh, and the bike, you know, like, so those rest days when I, when I wasn't running, I was doing you know, big, big bike workouts and I would, I would just try and uh, adapt it to you know, how I felt. So I'd listen to my body quite a bit. And if I, if I wasn't, if I wasn't feeling good, I just wouldn't work out at all. Or I just cut it short. Uh-huh. And I think that's the key thing is just being flexible you can't you can't download a program and stick to it for something like Ultraman because every every day the decision of how to train uh-huh. is affected by how how you feel and some days I feel great and some days I wouldn't um, but I, I really agree with you about about being able to you really nail the bike it makes a huge difference like when I went on to day three for this run I wasn't like I wasn't really tired I didn't have sore legs even though I'd done 170 miles of biking the day before and 90 miles the day before that. It was, yeah. You know, I, I felt like my strength on the bike meant I could start day three relatively fresh, actually. Yeah, and I think that it, I think Ultraman, it's, it was my first opportunity. It's, it's like triathlon's first version of a stage race. And yeah. so you really, you really get to show off this fourth discipline that no one talks about and how good you are at it. And it's recovery. How you notice the more you do triathlon uh, training, the less sore you get. Um, day after day after day, like over the years, you learn how to keep from getting sore. And so 
I saw in your in your posts how um, on slow twitch forums your recovery strategies with your your compression uh, boots that you got into immediately and um, like in the van on the way back to your hotel you were already in yeah. those things <laughs> yeah. yeah and then how to eat the night uh, the nights uh, between uh, stages and um, I, yeah I think for those of us that we may not be like incredibly fast but man we just don't seem to get sore from stuff as much as as some other people this uh a day after day stage race is something where you could really uh clean up right uh, oh yeah it's, yeah it's the the recovery is is pretty interesting because it's a it's a huge part of the the strategy of a of a stage race like this and yeah just just kind of getting the calories down uh, after each day getting them in a timely manner mm-hmm. yeah making sure you just stay off your feet and 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 also just the time that you take in actually doing the event. There's kind of this trade-off of you know, how hard do you go? If you, you know, if you if you ride faster, you're going to get to the end sooner and have a, a better recovery window. But you don't want to completely smoke yourself so that you, it makes it more difficult to recover. So it's kind of this, this fine balance of you want to ride hard enough to get a really good uh, gap on the other guys in terms of recovery. Mm-hmm. But, you, but you don't want to smoke yourself. And I, yeah, I found that was, you know, even though I'm, I'm, I was totally inexperienced at Ultraman, um, yeah, I kind of, I guessed what I should do and I, I, I think I got that right, um, on this, on this first time, which I was pretty lucky with. Yeah, you definitely did. And how, um, I, I read something where you said that you, uh, you wanted to do Ultraman actually cause it kind of scared you a little bit. I guess that made it interesting enough cause you, you were kind of going into unknown territory. Yeah. But like, you know, that with Ironman, I've done 11 Ironmans. Um, and yeah, the, the only thing that, Kind of really motivates me to improve is is trying to get faster at that distance, mm-hmm. but it doesn't it doesn't scare me like my very first Ironman did. Like the first Ironman, I I had no idea if I could actually finish it, if I could do the distance. <laughs> no, I know I can do the distance. Just right. a question of how how quick it's going to be, and it was the same with Ultraman. Like I had no idea whether I could. Um, like e- even each day, like swimming. Yeah, I know for you, swimming ten k is probably not a not not a big deal, but. No. Yeah, I've I've only done I've swum ten k's once in my life before in open water. Yeah, and I didn't know if I could do it, and it, it turns out it wasn't it wasn't a big deal at all. But um, yeah, it was a big unknown for me just just that swim. And then 171 miles on the bike. I, I think before that, my longest ride had been maybe 120 or 130 or something like that. Yeah. Uh, so that was kind of an unknown, but I felt I felt like it was a comfortable unknown. And then the run was a total unknown. I think yeah, I've, I've run a 50k race before, which is 32 miles, but nothing further than that. So that I was in uncharted territory once I went past 32 miles. Um, right, right. And now that I've now that I've finished it, I don't you know, I don't have that uh, you know, that sort of you know, apprehension about the the overall distance. Uh, but before the race, I absolutely did, and that that was a huge motivator to you know, it, it got me out of my comfort zone, and it, it kind of you know made me push myself beyond what I was actually comfortable with. And that, you know, that, that's pretty motivating to, to have that, that fear driving you. Yeah, I was terrified of the run because I knew I could handle the swim. Uh, the bike was going to be a little bit weird because, like you, I'd done probably 120. Um, but then running after that, I was like, oh, my God, I, don't, I have no idea you know, what that's going to feel like, if I'm, what I'm going to feel like by that day. So what that did was it, it scared me into training better. Yeah. Yeah. I, I realized at my training for trying to do an Ultraman was the the training I should have been doing for an Ironman. <laughs> yeah. It scared me sufficiently. I was like, oh, this is what this is what would get me better results in Ironman for sure. 
because yeah. I'm I'm uh I'm floating around like uh, I get eleven hours is probably my best in an Ironman. I forgot exactly what it is, but I always mess up uh, the nutrition. I always about halfway through the run get some kind of stomach issue and like a dummy. I'm a bigger guy, so I keep signing up for hot races because I live here in Texas, <laughs> which just melt me down. You know, like Ironman Texas is like yeah. the worst one to sign up for. But um, I want to I want to talk to you about that other thing that you are uh, becoming uh, well known for, which is the whole metabolic nutrition. Yeah, and this is fascinating. You. Years ago, before I think, I guess before this became a the topic du jour that's going on right now, um, you started working on this, uh, figuring out how to increase. Were you trying to figure out how to increase your fat burning or how to decrease your your insulin resistance or what exactly led you to get to getting your own metabolic cart? <laughs> yeah. So, so what what led me to getting that was I. Um... I, well, I wanted to figure out pacing. That was the thing. So it wasn't about, you know, uh -huh. I want to burn more fat or I want to you know, burn less carbohydrate. It was, I want to just know that at, when I'm you're riding at this effort or this uh -huh. range of efforts, so I, I would take Ironman effort maybe a little bit below, a little bit above. With this range of effort, what am I actually burning uh, so that I know with my nutrition strategy if I'm, oh, that strategy. I'm yeah. going to fall short or yeah. not. And that, like, so how that's, many, that's how it started. How many calories to take in? because yeah. at, at, at certain paces, right? Which I've, yeah, that's been around for quite a while. Um, and even like your Garmin watch will say, you burn this many calories, right? So then you can say, oh, I need it because I burn so. That's one way to race or one way to fuel is for your watch to tell you about how many calories you burned. Uh, yeah, although the, yeah. the you know those Garmin the Garmin algorithms are kind of just um, yeah, it's totally. kind of like a it's like an estimate or a guess. And that you know, the benefit of a, of a metabolic card is it tells you not only your total calories pretty precisely, but how much is coming from fat and how much is coming from carbohydrate. Right. Um, and then, of course, the, the goal is to, you know, you want to, you're never going to replace the, you know, the, the total amount of carbohydrate that you're burning, but you want to limit that um, so that you, you know, the, the delta between what, you, what you're burning and what you're taking in is, is, is as low as possible so that you can last the whole Ironman. Uh, without run, without fully depleting your your glycogen or carbohydrate stores. Now, did you know that going into this when you first started out, or did you kind of discover that that uh, after using the cart and testing yourself for a while? I mean, like you could you could kind of find out your needs, but then after a while, figure out that your needs actually change based on how you've been eating. Yeah, exactly. So the so the first test I ever did, I I just found a local uh, guy that did VO two testing because I so I knew the equipment that I needed. Uh huh. And I went and did the test, and I, I kind of defined my own protocol for you know, specifically for Ironman, uh, and that was insightful. But I knew that ver you know, various other things could affect your amount of fat versus carbohydrate utilization. So yeah, that led to me uh, getting my own metabolic cart, so I could test in, uh, under a variety of conditions. So I've tested myself hundreds of times on you know, being completely uh, carbohydrate depleted on a super high fat diet, on a normal diet, on a very high carbohydrate diet. And you know, the, the, your day-to-day -day diet actually influences your, your, your fat burning significantly. Um, and my, you know, my goal was really to try to find this utopia where you've, you know, you're not completely depleted, but your fat burning is still good enough to get you through uh, an Ironman as fast as possible. And that, you know, that's the, the key thing for me is mm -hmm. I want to. I want to focus on performance. Like, I, there's no prizes for who burns the most fat at the end of the race. It's it's whoever's the fastest. Right. And so I, you know, I wanted to, 
you know, carbohydrate without a doubt enables you to uh, to exercise at a higher intensity. Uh-huh. The question is, is that you know, is that necessary to to be at that higher intensity for um, you know, to do well in an Ironman? So those are the things I've been experimenting with. Was you know the various intensities combined with diet gives you a you know this this amount of fat versus carb that you use at at various efforts and yeah people people's definitions are all different right so like uh-huh. so, so someone says high performance or high intensity for one guy that could be you know he's absolutely redlining it that's like his 5 minute best effort whereas for someone else it could be you know the the pace they ride an ironman at and it feels kind of uncomfortable but they call that high intensity so there's a whole you know when people say you need carbohydrate for high intensity, I'm talking like if you're riding at your threshold or working out above your threshold, that's when you really need to you know, have sufficient carbohydrate stores. Right. And for the paces that many people ride at, you know, ride an Ironman at, um, you know, relatively slowly, they you know, they don't need as much carbohydrate as they as they think they do. Yeah, typical Ironman pace on the bike is it kind of depends on how competitive you are or how much experience you've got, but it could be anywhere from low seventy percent to 80 something percent of of your hour threshold yeah so it's yeah it's like 75 percent of what you could do for an hour so yeah that's pretty low (laughs) yeah yeah Yeah. exactly yeah um yeah tell somebody to go out for a jog what they could do for an hour at their fastest take 25 percent in yeah so so like for so at that effort so at like 70 percent ftp uh so 70 percent of threshold if i if i've been on like a like a super high fat diet you know, I'm burning. I'm burning mostly fat at that sort of intensity, and I'm only burning maybe 100 to 200 calories of carbohydrate per hour. Um, however, to be competitive, uh, you know, I'm normally riding it closer to 80 percent of threshold. In which case, it you know, it ramps up quite a bit. So I'm I'm burning maybe through you know, anywhere from 500, you know, around about let's say 500 carbohydrate calories per hour, and the, you know, with the rest coming maybe six or 700 coming from fat. But if I approach threshold, you kind of almost you're almost going to you know, 90% carbohydrates. So you're going from like 400 or 500 ca- carbohydrate calories per hour to almost a thousand, and that's you know I think that's where people you know, really uh, you know, impact their run is that they they have these surges, and although feel that much more difficult, just going from you know from like 80% to 90%, mm-hmm. uh, they can really start eating into those glycogen stores when they do that. Yeah. Um, um, so on yeah. that on on your on your uh, on your other interviews, you've talked about um, being metabolically flexible. Metabolic flexibility is what you call it, and you can manipulate your your fat burning by your recent diet. Um, I guess is a way to, to phrase it. Let me let me tell you from what I've the the sessions that you've talked about and what I've interpreted, and you can tell me where I'm wrong. So the uh, you can go uh, high fat, very low carb. And turn on your fat burning, and uh, but how how long does that last? Because you say you only do that sometimes. So mm. do you? Am I wrong about that, or does it does it last like a week, or just some days, or can you ruin it by eating some sugary stuff, or or what? How do, how long does it last for? Uh, yeah, so you can ruin it by eating sugary stuff. So it'll like as long as you continue with a with a high fat, uh, low carb diet, your your fat burning will be pretty good and and also for people just starting off if someone's like very very carbohydrate dependent um you know they can go through this pretty painful process of of high fat low carb and really get rid of that carbohydrate dependence but it takes 
it, it takes maybe 14, 14 days or more for that to actually kick in and for you to feel energetic on that type of diet. Um, but then, you know, the question, and this is, this is a very good question. So once you, so let's, let's say you, you, you're in this very high fat burning state, you're probably not going to be in the best high performance state. So you've got to start eating some carbohydrate to get into that high performance state for a race. You know, this is the golden question. So, that, so you start eating carbohydrate, how long before you actually start impacting it? Um, and you know, that's, that's a good question. I think the, the experiments that I've done, so let's say I eat you know, maybe you know, during a very restrictive phase, I'm eating maybe 50 grams of carbohydrate a day. And then I start before a race, I'm, you know, let's say I start eating you know, 300 grams per day or, or maybe more than that. Um, it's, the, the answer based on my test is maybe you know, one to two days. Uh, you still have pretty good fat burning. It's, it's not as good as when you completely deplete it, but at least you've, you've, you've stocked up your glycogen stores a bit. You've, you're, you're in a good enough fat burning state to perform well without completely running out. So your fat burning is good enough for racing. Um, if you, the thing that really impacts it is, is if you, you eat something that's super high sugar just before, just before your race, like within the hours before your race. So I like to, if you eat something, if you eat carbohydrate the day before, uh-huh. um, it's, there's enough time for that insulin reaction to happen. It'll be stored as glycogen. And then the next day, you, you, you'll still be in a pretty good fat burning state. It's good enough for racing. Uh-huh. Um, but then if you go and have like some, you're going down like three gels an hour before your race, then you're going to start impacting that that fat burning ability. But if you wait, like once you start exercising, that insulin response is actually um, subdued. So you can. So what I do is once I start racing, then I'm then it's like the floodgates open. I just take as much carbohydrate as I'm as I as I can without impacting my GI system. Um, and based on my tests, like I've done some super interesting tests where I start off in a I eat a high-fat breakfast, for example, and that keeps you in that good fat-burning state. And then uh, you start your workout, and 20 or 30 minutes in, you know, I'll eat something like an excessive amount of carbohydrate, like 500 calories per hour, and it, it actually makes no difference to, to the fat-burning at all. So I would test, I would take in 500 calories in an hour, and I would test again like an hour later. Still, You're still riding it, say, Ironman effort, and it hasn't impacted the... Um, you know, the fat burning ability at all, was, which mean, yeah. So I was that. suspicious of that. I thought that might be the case because I've tried that and I felt, I felt that it, that's what it was doing. Um, yeah. you eat something sugary and then, you know, 20 minutes later go for a, to race a 5k, you're going to implode because yeah. the blood sugar reactions, that's perfectly timed for you to just, yeah, you've hit that trough. Right. But yeah, yeah you, I, <clears throat> That's, yeah, that's exactly what I was thinking was you get started during a workout and you get about 20, 30 minutes in and then your bo- your body's ready to accept and put sugar in the right place. Then you can, you can carb along and uh, it's a totally different feeling. Yeah, it is. And if you look at some of the studies, people, you know, people kind of, a lot of the sort of high fat people freak out because your, your blood sugar level rises. But that's a, that's a good thing because you're actually getting you, your body's using blood sugar and that glucose in your blood uh-huh. for uh, you know, for energy, and it's not um, it doesn't have to go through the extra work of manufacturing that from somewhere else. Yeah, and the the insulin response is, response is suppressed, so it's not so even though your blood sugar rises a bit, you don't have this insulin reaction during exercise that will, that will then make you crash. Um, so that's you know, so that's you know for me, I, I see a lot of people going down the the nutrition strategy of 
you know, they eat high fat, low carb day to day, and then in the race they go and eat high fat as well, which you know, to me is a waste of uh, you know, it's a it's a waste of your GI processing abilities because you've got enough fat. Even a lean person has enough fat to get them through probably several Ironmans. Yeah. Um, but you don't have enough carbohydrate. You don't have enough glycogen. So if you're going to take something in, my opinion is just take in the carbohydrate. There's no need to take in uh, in extra fat during the actual race because you have enough of that already. Yeah, I, yeah, that's what I thought as well. But do you like to eat um, low carb, high fat as a as a day in day out kind of diet or or not? Um, for, yeah, for the it depends on the types. I I periodize this throughout the year, so I find the off season for me is a good time to do that just because it helps prevent massive weight gain. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's a great way to control weight just by controlling the carbohydrate a bit. Uh, it it does help, and I think being you know, being being strict helps me to be more disciplined. Just because it's you know, if, if you're if you're flexible on what you eat, you just it's kind of anything goes, and before you know it, you kind of just you like stuffing your face full of pies and burgers and you know, <laughs> chips and stuff like that. Yeah. Um. So yeah, you know, in the off season, I I feel it helps, and then definitely before before a race, I I, I try and do a few weeks of that just to kind of really ramp that uh, fat burning ability back up again. And then also any time where I, you know, where it's necessary, where it's more convenient from a training point of view, uh, like if, I, if I'm doing a bunch of long rides and they're not particularly high intensity, just being on that, you know, that day-to-day diet means I don't have to carry like seven you know, energy bars or gels with me. I can just, I can just carry some water and maybe you know, like one or two snacks for, for a long five or six hour ride and I don't need anything else. Um, so it really helps me just from a convenience point of view. And then, and then I think strategically during a race, you could you could use a similar approach. So, your know, Ultraman, for example, you, you start with a ten k swim. If you if you need to take in something every twenty minutes, you're going to be stopping a lot. You've got the swim escort and yeah. a kayak, and you're going to be like stopping and drinking every twenty minutes, and you lose a lot of time every time you do that. Um, where in in this race, I just stopped once. I got calories in at two hours. So I swam for two hours without anything. You know, drank drank a bottle pretty quickly. Well. Kind of doing backstroke with one hand yeah. at two hours, and then and then that was that was it. I didn't take in anything else for the swim. So that yeah, that idea of being metabolically flexible meant yeah, in that situation I could just you know, really tap into fat stores, not need the carbohydrate. And then once I got on the bike, I was just yeah, I, I really took in that carbohydrate and and thinking of the next day, started refueling so that I could start the next day with full with full glycogen stores. Yeah, that's that's pretty interesting because I did the stopping every twenty minutes on the uh, swim, and I was trying, I was just trying to be, you know, just I wasn't racing. I was just trying to see if I could finish one of these things. So I was trying to stay fueled as as I could. But yeah, that probably added about ten fifteen minutes altogether. Yeah. Um, yeah. And then uh, what? Uh, my experience has been the um, at first when you're trying to break yourself of all the sugars, it's pretty painful. But then um, the more you do it. The more you go back and forth, actually, I can't decide on whether it's less painful or you're just better at at uh, controlling your effort so that it's not as painful. So, like, say you want to, you're realizing that you're going to go uh, lower sugar, uh, lower carb, and so you you've learned from the pain from before to just not go as fast, and then you won't you won't hit the wall as hard or at all. You're, it, that gives your time body to catch up and start uh, supplying uh, fat as a fuel. Is, do you feel the same way, or am I off base there? Um, yeah, you know, I feel the first time you go through this, it's a lot more painful than the others. Um, 
you know, and I, I use when I'm riding my bike with a power meter that gives you it gives you some absolute numbers to be able to compare efforts. So you know, for me these days, I, if I want to kind of go into this high fat burning state, it's just it's literally like three or four days, um, and then I'm I don't go through that ten days of like severe pain and energy loss and and all that type of stuff. I feel pretty good after even five days, and my power uh, you know, I gauge this by uh, the power on the bike and how I feel. Uh-huh. So if I feel energetic and my power is good and my and my power my heart rate versus power is good you know, then i then i kind of view that i'm in a good place um so usually it's 45 days maybe but sometimes it's just it just seems a bit random that i i do this and it takes it takes longer like 10 days and there, there's no particular reason that i can figure out why it, it takes longer sometimes um but on the whole it, it it's uh, it's much shorter whereas the first time it was you know 14 maybe even longer maybe maybe 2 to 3 weeks it took yeah. uh, for me to actually feel energetic so let's say you were doing a um, uh, just a, an average uh, two to three four hour bike ride right now. Um, well, after you recover from your race, <laughs> yeah. you probably have no no want to go out there right now. But uh, let's say you got back into training. Um, what do you normally feel out on a bike ride? Uh, so I take uh, I'll take a few bottles. So I have I have water with. Um, a branch chain amino acid mix. I, I use this BCAA mix uh, called Extend, so Skyvation Extend. Mm-hmm. I just buy that off Amazon. So, it's, but any any sort of amino acid mix will will do. And that you know, it tastes nice, and it also just you know pre- prevents any sort of muscle breakdown if if you are in a in a carbohydrate depleted state. Mm-hmm. Um, but then I would just I'd probably take one one or two uh, bars with me, so something that's convenient. There's a there's a local uh, there's a local bar. Manufacturer here in Colorado called uh, Bobo's Bobo's oat bars, and they're nice because it's it's like oatmeal, but it's it's mixed with like some honey and natural stuff. It's it's kind of nice and moist as well, so it's a nice texture. Right. Um, and I'll just have I'll probably have like one or two of those, and that's it. And I won't really need anything else. But then what I do is when I get back, I just I make sure that I refuel pretty well. If you know, depending on what my next session is coming up, if I don't if I if I don't have a, another training session that day I just eat normally but if I've got another session then I try and get a decent amount of carbohydrate in as soon as I'm done with that session. So what you're saying there is you kind of do in a training ride you kind of do lower lower carb fueling is that to, to kind of train your metabolism a little bit and then you then you uh, refuel after you're done? Uh, it, you know that's mainly just for a convenience thing I think yeah, I feel at, the, at this point now um, yeah, my metabolism. Like, I can get back into a really good fat burning state within a few days. So, like doing doing long depleted rides isn't something that is massively of value to me. Yeah, it, I, yeah. Sometimes there's more of a cost in doing that. So, I try to I try to fuel what I need to fuel with during the actual ride. So, if it's low intensity, I won't, yeah, I'll take you know two or three bars maybe, and then I'll oh. fuel well afterwards because I right. yeah the fueling afterwards will make sure that I'm pretty well stocked for the next time I do that. Right. Um, and then. Yeah, if it's I, I do have key depletion workouts that I'll do every now and again, but not not that frequently. And yeah, you know, and by by what I mean by that is I'll be in a depleted state already, mm-hmm. and then I'll go out and do a, a depleted ride, and you know, and really try feel the I try to get to that point where I'm really feeling the pain of of a of a full on you know, glycogen depletion bunk. Right. Um. But it's you know, it often takes a, a lot for that to actually happen. I mean, I've been on like you know, during my Ultraman build, I did like a you know, three and a half hour run with no fuel, and it was it was all good. Just and it's because of that pace, right. I'm kind of running you know, eight, you know, eight like eight eight and a half minute miles, 
you're pretty much burning almost 100% fat. Um, well, I am at least at that pace. So it's not like there's this need to to eat anything. Um, and there was enough there was enough glycogen stored from whatever I ate previously just to get me through that. But I feel that experiencing that in training at least occasionally is is good because then you can deal with it in uh, in a race. If it, if it happens in a race and it's the first time you've ever hit the wall or seen styles or bonked, it's it can be in a, uh, something that you don't know how to deal with. So I think every now and again it's good just to do that in training and get to that point where you. Uh, you, know, you learn what happens to your own body and you learn how long it takes you to recover from that and that you, you can actually recover and continue yeah. uh, and not totally freak out about that. Yeah, I was, I was listening to another podcast recently, a, a big famous one, and, and the uh, guy said, no, if you bonk, it's over. And I was like, no, it's not. <laughs> yeah, yeah, It's not over at all. If you just walk for, yeah. uh, or sit down for 10, 15 minutes, um, you're, your fat burning turns on and you can, uh, you can start progressing slowly. And then uh, the thing I've noticed is the more uh, metabolically, the more fat burning I get, the better my body gets at it, the less impact that bonk seems to have. And, and it takes longer, like you're saying, it's actually becomes more and more difficult to initiate, which yeah. is a good thing, I think. Absolutely. Yeah, it's, yeah. You're, you're right. It, the, the severity of it is, is, is way lower than if you, if you carbohydrate dependent and you, you suddenly, you don't have the sudden, like I've hit the wall, I'm seeing stars, I'm like, uh-huh. I don't know what to do. It's just kind of a gradual thing, and you and you know it's going to happen, yeah. and you can you can kind of deal with it more easily. And that actually happened to me on on day two of the Ultraman at 171 miles. <laughs> when I when I was at like 168 miles, <laughs> I could just it feel it coming good. on. Like I was, yeah. I could just feel. I and it was like the the toughest three miles I've ever ridden in my life. Yeah, yeah. and I knew I I knew I was it was going to be touch and go whether I'd actually make the finish line or not. But I was I was like, okay, I I know what this is coming on, I, I know what, what I'm going to feel like, and I know I can, well, I think I can make it um, without kind of stopping and refueling and losing some time. Right. Um, having that familiarity was really good, and knowing that it wasn't going to be a sudden, like a sudden wall that I was going to just drop and fall off my bike into, into the traffic right. uh, was, was very reassuring because I'd experienced it before. All right. Well, let's, let's, uh, let's talk about your bike setup real quick before we let you go, because uh, I love asking these uh, the successful triathlete, this question is how do you have your bike set up? And what I mean by that is where on your bike, do you keep your fuel and your hydration and your bike computer? Uh, do you keep it on your wrist and, you know, between your hands or, or, or what? And, um, and also what kind of gear are you using on your bike? Okay. So I, I would, uh, people would probably call me an aero weenie. So I, I'm kind of obsessed about aerodynamics mm-hmm. and all my choices are based around that. So, uh, so I ride a, a diamond bike, which is the the beam bike, and mm-hmm. that's a, yeah. I, I love that bike. It's actually it's great for an ultraman distance as well. It's it kind of um, oh, it's the ultimate. You know, there's, the, yeah. there's some limitation of of the the rough roads that you ride on. Just you know, the beam's got some slight uh, absorption. It's nothing you can actually feel when you're riding, but you feel it once you're done. You you feel the lack of of uh, of any sort of rough impact. Yeah, it's really good. Um, uh, Nutrition-wise, I have a I've got an X-Lab torpedo bottle that I have between the bars, mm-hmm. and I just with if I'm in an Ironman, I just I kind of refill that, grab something from aid stations, refill it on the fly. Right. Um, when Ultraman, you, you know, it's much more convenient. You've got a crew that gives you whatever you want, so yeah, I would just grab my bottles and refill that on the fly. I have a I have a bento box. I've got the Torhans bento box on the uh, yeah. You're kind of on the on the top tube and that on on the beam on on the diamond bike, yeah. And that I I just put in um, you know, anything that's like a chew. So I use the Powerbar Cola chews, 
um, you know, for, for a natural alternative, sometimes I'll put in these dried, I get um, tart cherries and, and put them in there. That's, a, that's kind of a great uh, high calorie, you know, very good carbohydrate snack. And it's got, um, you know, it's got some good antioxidants in it as well. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I carry, I carry a, like a latex, like pit stop, basically. If I get a, if I get a flat, I just, you know, I squirt some of that stuff. It's like a compressed canister. I just, mm-hmm. I just have on my, on my saddle. Okay. And then, uh, yeah, I use a, I use a dash saddle. It's got like an integrated uh, bottle mounts on it. So I have, I sometimes have a bottle behind there with either, with either calories, or I have my flat kit and everything stored in a, like one of those pods. That's, it's basically like a sealed bottle. Uh, pretty much, and then yeah, my in terms of setup, that you know, my body position is pretty aggressive. Uh, yeah, I don't. Yeah, some people set up for comfort, and um, yeah, uh, and they they kind of un aerodynamic when they're doing that. I I just set up for as as aerodynamically uh, possible as possible as I can, right. and you know through through doing long rides, I I don't, I don't really experience pain or discomfort. It's actually being more aerodynamic actually has ended up being more comfortable for me in the long run. So. Um, yeah, I don't, I, I, don't, I don't feel like I'm too aggressive on my position. I, I agree. Um, the comfort, you get really aerodynamic. The comfort is that you get to finish 10 minutes before the other. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> you're not out there an extra 10 minutes grinding away because you're got stuff all hanging off your bike. And yeah. I totally agree. I, uh, I don't have a diamond, but I'm an arrow weenie too. And so I tried, I've tried to get as tiny as I possibly can on this, on my, I have a BMC and with a, everything arrow matters. It ma- it all matters. And especially yeah. if you're doing long stuff and, um, I'm used to my bike position and how it looks. And I took my bike into the bike shop the other day and they were commenting on my, my position is super, they were saying it was super aggressive. Yeah. I was like, really? Cause it feels really comfortable. But I think over yeah. the years I've just lowered the stem, you know, I'll lower the stem, the handlebars, you know, another half a centimeter. And then mm. I'll lower it another half a centimeter and another half a centimeter, another half a centimeter. So over the years, it's gotten lower and lower. And I, I really work on trying to get tiny. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So that's awesome, man. Um, and I, I use shorter cranks as well. So I use 165 uh-huh. mil cranks. Oh, uh, and that was, that was, that was something that came about. Um, wow. When I was, I was, my bike fitter is yeah. a guy named Jim Manton. He's got a, he's got this uh, Eero Sports, which is like an aero testing facility at the LA Velodrome. Uh-huh. Um, and he actually, you know, he did some blind tests with me where he would, he would tell me to ride at a specific effort and he would, he would see my power and I couldn't see it. And he's got this retool fit bike where he, he kind of changes the crank length and changes my position. So he actually got me to a position where I felt great and I was outputting more power, but you know, feeling better than I did at other, yeah. at, at other setups. So you know, my, my entire position and my, my crank length and all of that sort of stuff was based on. Me feeling yeah. you know, certain perceived effort, but whether po- he chose wherever the power was highest is, as as uh-huh. the the equip the equipment choice for that setup. Yeah, I've I've done the cheap version of that, where uh, heart rate and a power meter on a trainer, yeah. and then um, warming up, and then just adjusting everything. And and I did too. I I uh, dropped my crank length to get more compact, uh, and that way you can get lower, and your knees yeah. aren't rising as high. But I didn't go. Man, one, you said one sixty fives. Yeah, I've got a 165s. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. So I've got it. So it's an interesting setup because I've got 165 crank arms, and then yeah. I've got a my my cranks, are, my um, chain rings are these oval chain rings. So I've got a 54 tooth oval chain ring. So when at the, at the yeah. widest point, it's actually like a 56. Yeah. <laughs> um, and, that, and that's really helped for for a lot of the race, the type of races I do. You you got these long 
sort of gradual downhills that where you spin out if you don't have something like that, like right. Kona, that that descent from Harvey, um, yeah, and Ironman Arizona as well. There's like this long downhill section that's it's just a slight downhill, and especially if you go on a tailwind, you spin out. But just with that difference in in uh, chainring setup in in Kona last year, I I probably overtook fifty or sixty guys on that downhill, whereas the previous years I you know they were overtaking me. Right. It's just because I didn't spin out. I was still cranking it out, wow. um, you know, cool. e- even though we had a tailwind and a, and a and a downhill. All right. Well, speaking of races, what do you what do you have next? You've got Boulder. Are you doing anything smaller than that, or is that is that? Uh, you know what? There's yeah. That, so on the plan is the the next race is Boulder seventy point three. So it's good. Uh-huh. I get a bit of speed back. But there's so many local races here that um, like every weekend there's there's like Olympics or sprints. So I want to try and get a bunch of those in mm-hmm. uh, just for variety. And yeah, I, I live literally like three miles from the Boulder Reservoir. So all the races I I can actually just ride to the races. Yeah. So I'm I'm looking forward to doing some of those. And then um, Boulder seventy point three, Boulder Ironman. And I'm doing this really cool race called 106 West, which mm-hmm. is, it takes place in Lake Dillon, which is 10,000, it's about 10,000 feet you start at. So the swim's at 10,000 <laughs> feet and then, so it's a half iron distance in September. So that's, I'm just doing, I just thought it sounds, it sounds yeah. pretty epic and pretty tough and maybe miserable, but I thought that would be fun. Yeah. Um, and then I'm doing a, there's a mountain bike race called uh, Silver Rush 50. So it's a 50 miler in Leadville. It's one of the it's like a, one of the Leadville feeder races. So uh, I don't have a mountain bike, but I'm doing that on my on my fat bike. I've got a fat bike for riding in the snow. Yeah. So that's going to be that's going to be kind of a fun race, I think. You like? Yeah. You know, other crazy. people do it with a crew. I'm just going to do it. It's only 50 miles, so I'm just going to go and do that and do it on my do it on the fatty. So do you think? Uh... Oh, have you gotten your um, official invite to Ultraman Hawaii yet? Or no. does that work? Did I lose you? It, it, it'll open, then, then you apply and you submit a race resume. And, oh, okay. Um, yeah, I hope all, after all of this they actually accept. No, I've got you. <laughs> okay. So I hope after all of this they actually accept me. Yeah. Um, so you, you submit the race resume and the application, and then, and then they choose, they decide whether you race or not. But it should be... I, I'm, I'm feeling pretty confident that they'll they'll accept me into it. Yeah, as long as you haven't offended them somehow by uh, misspeaking about the race or anything like that. So, <laughs> yeah, let's hope not. Do you think uh, Ultraman yeah. is uh, doing something this long has kind of ruined you for the short races, or you you're gonna be like, well, this isn't exciting, uh, as interesting because it's not as long, or you think because of all the local short stuff that you've got going on, you'll be able to get back in the groove of things pretty easy? Uh, I don't think so. It's I, I mean I, I'm feeling. I'm, I'm feeling, I'm feeling pretty recovered now. I think I lost you there for a second. Um, I'm here. So I, th- I think it's uh, yeah. I was worried. It's mainly the mainly this double marathon that I think uh, yeah, you ha- especially having to dig so deep like this makes um, yeah puts you in a little bit of a hole for recovery. Like I couldn't even walk up the stairs after the race to go get a go get the post race meal. Um, but I, you know, the days following, I, yeah, I feel pretty good now. I I can I could probably go for a run today. It's yeah, it's a week pretty much a week after the race and I, 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 I think I, when I did I tried to swim I did a swim workout on Friday and I felt you know, kind of like this deep fatigue in there and yeah yeah I think that it'll take a while for that to to kind of settle down and um, I'll just I'll just listen to my body and see how I feel I'll probably do some work in the gym for a bit do some weights and just just have a big swim block and as soon as I'm feeling good on swimming I'll start to incorporate more running and biking again but it should be should be maybe a, a couple of weeks and then I'll be good to go again. Cool.
Cool. Well, that's some good all-around tips on everything from racing to recovery. Do you have uh, links or uh, websites or Twitter or Facebook for people to um, get in touch with you? Uh, yes. Yeah, so my website is uh, robgray.org. That's R-O-B-G-R-A-Y. Uh, on Twitter, I'm just Rob Gray. Um, Facebook, I'm facebook.com slash robgray7. I've actually got an Ultraman page on Facebook as well, which is uh, facebook.com slash roboultra. But if they go to my if they go to my website robgray.org, they can get all my race reports. They can get like they can get all the other contact info from there. So that's that's probably the best first step. Cool. All right. Well, thanks for the interview, man. Awesome. Thanks. That was uh, yeah, great speaking to you. All right. Thank you so much, Rob. And if you go to zentriathlon.com, you can see a picture of him, and I put a link to his site. And I've already been to his site and was poking around. I found it really useful, really cool. This guy's the real deal. It's very. Uh, excited to talk to him and learn a lot. And I followed up with an email to him that said, Hey Rob, exclamation point, I'm working on putting your show together and I forgot to ask you, what is your view on using UCAN? For everybody that knows this, uh, doesn't know this, uh, UCAN is a resistant starch. It's pretty expensive, um, but it's a very, very, very slow release carbohydrate to the point of some people won't even like to call it a carbohydrate because it's so slow release, but it is. And... I asked, uh, do you use UCAN and how much do you use? I'll tack that in with my own wrap-up about your coaching services and such. Thanks, Brett. And Rob wrote back, uh, hey, Brett, its primary benefit is the slow release of energy. So the main advantage I see in using something like UCAN is for situations where you want to keep blood sugar levels very stable or if you have infrequent access to nutrition. The way I use it is part of my pre-race meal. Oh, the way I use it is part of my pre-race meal. I've had good success at Ironman Arizona in 2014 where I recarbed the day before the race and then on race day had a pretty high-fat breakfast. And uh, then he lists out what he did. So, yeah, this is for breakfast, uh, three hours before the race. Uh, several scoops of UCAN, three to four servings. Uh, homemade low-carb chocolate, which is coconut oil, uh, raw cocoa powder, stevia and a little honey and then a small piece of ezekiel bread with lots of butter and almond butter and then he says uh, that was about three hours before the race then nothing else until i was on the bike so the only carbs in the breakfast was the yucan and the small piece of ezekiel bread and i can tell you from experience that ezekiel bread has got a lot of fiber in it so it's pretty freaking slow if i eat ezekiel bread and then go run um I get lightheaded because <laughs> it's um, absorbing all your energy to digest that stuff. Uh, everything else was pretty much fat. I found that uh, I found that type of pre-race meal keeps me in a high-fat burning state, even though I ate carbs the day before. Then once I'm on the bike, it's solid tempo effort, only taking in carbs. I did a nutrition report for that race here, and let me click on that link, and we'll take you there. Um, robgray.org uh, slash Ironman dash Arizona dash nutrition dash report and it's called Ironman Arizona nutrition report and man he lists it all out plus graphs so that is cool stuff 
Okay, let me go back to the email because there's one last thing. The other situation where I would use situation where I would use UCAN would be if I had a long race without aid stations and I had to carry my own nutrition. With UCAN, I could just drink a bottle or two and then not have to worry about carrying too much other stuff. That's because it lasts a long time. But if I have access to aid stations, then I can get more calories in if I take more carbs more frequently every 10 minutes or so. Okay, this is really interesting. Okay, the every 10 minutes or so. Um, yeah, when I'm working out, I have an alarm on my watch, my wrist, my Garmin that vibrates my wrist, 10 minutes, take a sip of fuel. That way I don't forget. I can decide, I don't have to take fuel, but I can decide, do I want fuel? It's just a reminder so I don't forget. And then also, um, he mentioned, I don't know if this is in the interview or not, but you're doing, let's say you can, and, um, you can, uh, the thing where in the swim, uh, at Ultraman, I heard him say this, that if you fueled every... 20 minutes uh, in the swim, that's a lot of stopping. And if you load up on UCAN, um, which is really slow release, then you don't have to stop. See, if you fuel while on the bike, you're still rolling. If you fuel while on the run, you're still moving. But if you fuel while on the swim, it really uh, puts a dent in your time. And he was trying to get through the swim uh, as efficiently as possible. So thank you, Rob, for the email and the news on you can. Um, I'm still trying out potato starch, unmodified potato starch, and it seems to be the same result. But I'm still testing. And also, um, I also have you can, and I use that back and forth. So I'm not against you can whatsoever. Okay, and I think that's it for all that. Let's go ahead and mention some show sponsors. This episode, I pulled them out of the interview because I just want to list them together. And we have, oh, it's somewhere else, but let me go find it real quick. Uh, I know off the top of my head, livingfuel.com. And I heard them mention on the uh, Ben Greenfield podcast, he recommends their green shake. I recommend their green shake. It's really, really good. <laughs> Super high nutrition. Uh, they have protein powder. They have amino acid powder. They have these incredible bars. But you should skip those bars and eat Amrita bars instead. And then um, they uh, have, I'm trying to think what else. Oh, they have these uh, packets, these little sat sachet little packets that have chia seeds and coconut in them. And they taste so good. I just eat them raw right out of the pack. I just pour it into my mouth. Um on that note, I've been trying a lot of chia seed stuff lately. Uh, at the end of the show, well, check out uh, livingfuel.com. Uh, they are a supporter of the show, and I really appreciate them. They have a huge selection of all kinds of stuff. Okay, I mentioned at the end of the show, uh, 33 Shake. I was on the phone to London with them, and I'm a big believer in their stuff that is vanilla, uh, real vanilla, real um, coconut sugar, and then... What was the other thing? They have uh, chia seeds mixed in, and you add water to it, and you shake it up. So check them out, 33shake.com, and you can get a discount uh, with using discount code ZENTRY33SHAKE. And Amrita Bars. Oh, I've had two today. I've been bad. I needed some carbs, man. Amrita Bars, because they taste so good. I eat one, and I'm like, oh, these are so healthy. They couldn't possibly be a problem with me eating like eight of them. Um, they are so good. Uh, my favorite might be the mango one. Raisin cinnamon is pretty freaking good. And yeah, man, Amrita Bars. Oh, they're so good. And uh, they have a code, Zen2016. 
if you want to get a discount on uh, Amrita bars, check out they have an Amrita club too. And I think that discount code works on a lot of their stuff because they have the coolest kit in the world. I love their kit. I wore it during my uh, self-supported Ultraman when I did my little Ultra Baby uh, on the second day of the bike. I think I wore the kit the whole day, I believe. That was pretty rad. And because um, I look pro in that thing. And you will too. So check them out, amritahealthfoods.com. And, um, oh, the club is 20% off the regular price, price plus free shipping. And you choose the bars you want. And you get a triathlon or cycling top free with your order. Oh, my gosh. You just need to email them and let them know. And it's still cold out there. And Amrita bars don't freeze, which is rad. And it'll save your teeth. Um, let's see. Uh, Living Fuel. Let's go back to them for a second. Uh, Living Protein is this this uh, protein powder they make, which tastes like uh, vanilla. I like it a lot. Uh, Non-soy, vegetarian, yellow pea, brown rice protein with added fiber, prebiotics, and probiotics. Perfect for green smoothies that need some extra protein. And boom, pretty cool stuff. And who else do we got? Is uh, I need to talk to Chris Haig. Or is Chris Haig still supporting the show? He's uh, a really great triathlon coach. Check him out at Chris Haig Coaching. And... Yeah, I mentioned how to get Hornet Juice and donate to the show at the very end of this episode. All right, I think that's it. Let's go ahead and get started with the uh, training log. Just off the top of my head before we get into that, um, I had uh, three and a half hours worth of tattoo work done, and I still got another three and a half hours (laughs) to go. I'm breaking it up over the next few months so I don't miss too much swimming at once because you have to take a three-week break. You take a two-week break before you can get it in the pool and you have to take a three-week break uh, before you can get more tattoo work done. So I'm taking like a couple months break and that way I get to swim a whole bunch and then go back in and then have to take uh, two weeks off not to swim. Uh, at, until three weeks is up, you uh, your skin peels like a sunburn. It's really odd and um, it'll clog up the needle. He says, I don't want to spend all my time picking dead, your dead skin out of my tattoo gun. <laughs> you sure came a long way to get revenge on your boar. That's from The Revenant. And the, uh, the uh, tattoo is a, um, it's a Japanese uh, traditional with a Japanese tidal wave on the chest and then a Japanese tiger on the, uh, on the arm and, and pattern. It's really cool. It's kind of like a half sleeve. And then a chest, and then over the back of the shoulder. It ended up being a lot bigger than I thought it was going to be. And uh, yeah, there's that uh, injury update. Um, left arm still sucks. Uh, feet are getting better. And I think that's it. So let's go ahead and get into the uh, training log. And let's roll. Here we go. You are entering the Zentrite training log zone. Kuneli. <laughs> Hi everybody, my name is Brett, I'm a triathlete. I decided it's time I got some friends more suited to my status. But Joe, we've been friends for years. Hey, we all make mistakes. Come on dudes, let's go exercise! Exercise! I'm gonna do sit-ups till I poop myself! What's up homies, time for a new training log! Okay, start date. Is it the 25th? February 25th? February 26th. There we go. Alright. Looking at my Garmin 920 XT, the only watch to use if you're serious about stuff, except the uh, Sunto Amb, it's pretty good too. All right, the uh, the swim. I've been uh, recovering from a broken arm, which may uh, ruin my swimming form uh, for the rest of my life, but 
it's uh, we're about two months after breaking it, maybe, and two and a half. And I had a uh, breakthrough a few days ago. Dude, are you really cutting me off like that? For real? Where? Um, let's give this guy a little honk and say thanks. There you go. Use your horn, people. It's enjoyable. And the uh, I was actually able to put some weight on it while swimming the other day. And I thought, oh, that's uh, that's nice. That's new. That's interesting. And it upped my speed maybe just the tiniest bit. But I was doing intervals, so it was kind of hard to tell. And um, for an hour swim, I'd been I do mostly continuous swimming, and I'm mixing like some hard efforts for you know like periodically kind of here and there usually sometimes sometimes I just go easy to moderate for an hour uh, that's called a U.S. postal swim by the way if you try to swim for an hour see how fast you can go far you can go in an hour but I'm not trying to do that I'm just you know just swimming I'm not racing but uh before I broke my arm I was clocking around on an average day 4,000 yards uh in a swim in an hour um, that's just shy of an hour Ironman swim, and that's uh, just cruising along, you know. Uh, and uh, for those that are new to the show, I have a background in swimming, so that's that's uh, very average for somebody that's um, got a background in competitive swimming. So the interesting thing was um, after I broke my arm, I was doing 2,500, 2,700 yards in an hour. I'm talking like I got a little T-Rex arm and I'm flopping it over painful and then eventually I worked my way up to um, at one point all of a sudden I was doing 3,000 and then for a long time I've been holding steady at 34, 35, 36 and then I got up to like maybe a couple times 37 if I was going hard and uh, 3,700 yards in an hour and then um, today I had uh, felt great which I'll get into in a minute uh, how that I pulled that off and also was able to really put weight on my arm and actually do most of a pull. There's still, basically my my wrist and my elbow joints don't work correctly. They don't twist fully. So I don't get as much grab and it also hurts. Um, and I can't extend my arm all the way. I'm missing 10 degrees of stretch, which is actually quite a bit when, it, when you get into the water. You don't notice it in the air, but in the water it's create some drag and um, I knocked out this morning 3,850 yards so just shy of 3,900 yards um, because I was just under an hour or two and I was so excited I was like man and it felt good I felt like I was using my able to use my left shoulder and my left arm a whole lot more and it's just the healing process I went to go see the bone doctor uh, day before yesterday and he said the bone is healed enough to really start putting weight on it if I wanted to do push-ups stuff like that so i'm really excited okay so that's uh project broken wing progress oh, i got the sun in my eyes and on top of that i uh, had a phone call with 33 shake um to london calling london uh yesterday via skype and i talked to warren pole i have to look is it warren pool or warren pole anyway he's awesome man i ought to get him on the podcast he's got a, a great accent and very well spoken and and Really, this company's really got their act together and they're progressing and, and uh, it's really cool and so they make fuel and we were taught we were trading stories back and forth about dealing with fuel 
and metabolism and what they've learned. So they do all natural ingredients, like really high quality stuff because you don't really need that much as much as, as the uh, cheap uh, fuel companies, um, stuff, the companies that are using cheaper fuel try to push on you. And so if you don't use that much, then you can use higher quality stuff. And uh, so we were trading stories back and forth. He was doing the Marathon de Saab, uh, Sables or whatever, but that's where they run across the Sahara Desert. And he said he did. Uh, he didn't really believe in the metabolism thing until he uh, uh, fat fat burning and improving your fat burning for metabolism uh, for more performance. Until he biked up something like Mount Kilimanjaro or something for five hours with another guy, and the guy the other guy used nothing. And we like dropped him or something. We have to get him on this show to tell a story about it. And I, I was telling him, I said, you know, my story with that is I got to the point where I couldn't do anything without sugar. And then if I didn't sugar, um, then I would bonk horribly within like 20 minutes within. Hold on. I'm entering a school zone. Going to get off the phone for a second. All right. I'm back. And uh, I've been carb tested a long time ago. And they said, you are amazing amazingly carb dependent you can't do anything without carbs and uh yeah and my race experiences and all that other stuff just gotta pour sugar on it. i can't do anything and um so in my experience what what happened was i went out on a run and i bonked and i forgot to bring any kind of uh fuel with me i'm talking i bonked like 20 minutes in and then i uh i um uh, i just started my workout Right, and I'm going for an hour, hour and a half, or something, and I'm like, "Well, uh, I'll just walk because of all the ultra running I've done. If you just walk, you'll feel better, you know." But we're talking—that's like mile eighty. <laughs> but anyway, I'm like, uh, "Well, I'm, I'll just walk, and I'll probably feel better, and then I'll—I'll uh, I'll be okay." And in about seven to ten minutes, I felt a lot better, and then in a couple minutes later, I was able to start running again. And I was like, "That's really weird." So, uh, twenty minutes in a bonk, right? And then a couple workouts later, I did the same thing on purpose. And the next thing I know, my bonk was pushed out to 40 minutes. And then uh, a couple workouts later, uh, bonk with no fuel, uh, bonk was pushed out to uh, the end of the hour and I never felt it. And also each time that I've done this, um, as I bonk, I've learned to uh, slow the pace down and then the bonk both slow the pace down and also the bonk is almost uh not only uh painless but just like a piece of information like oh you're running uh low on your natural stores of glycogen just slow down a little bit let your fat burning pick up and you'll be good and um so what i've learned and this is also my experience is you do periods of uh a, a few workouts like that on occasion and that ups your fat metabolism uh, availability so that you're, you're pretty much bonk proof and then you lower your dependence on carbs big time. You're, if you look at a graph, the amount of energy you're drawing from fat starts going way, way up. And you could do things like um, sit around and not eat carbs, you know, and for like three days and go into ketosis or all that crap. Uh, which takes forever and is boring and uh, not all that interesting and very, uh, I mean, who wants to do that? Or (laughs) 
you could wake up in the morning after not eating anything overnight, which is normal. Uh, everybody does that. Not eat anything and then go for a go for an easy workout and force a bonk and then start dipping into your fat stores and turn on that ketosis uh, grabbing uh, energy from body fat uh, immediately. You know, like within a couple of hours of, of uh, when your alarm goes off in the morning and force that state. And uh, so I did that, I think I did that yesterday morning on a run or on a bike ride. And I did it this morning on this swim. And I timed it seven minutes into my swim. I went from feeling kind of just average to the fat burning kicking in. I had I had a feeling like, oh, you better slow down a little bit. You're kind of like outrunning your glycogen. And um, it didn't feel bad. It wasn't a bonk at all. I've learned to slow down the pace. I slowed down the pace just the tiniest bit and gave it a few minutes. And then wham, fat burning uh, kicked in. And like I said, um, I, uh, I felt great. And I even did the last three minutes of an hour. So I've been swimming 57 minutes at a good clip. And I did the last three minutes hard, like, uh, like a hard interval. And this is on no fuel starting from, you know, 830 the night before. And, um, and then finished the swim and, uh, got out and now I've driven to work and I still haven't eaten anything. And you can tell by my mood and my attitude, I feel pretty freaking good. But once I get into work, I'm going to go, I'm going to eat something and, uh, pick back up again. So it's called, um, metabolic flexibility where you on occasion do something that, uh, I guess would drive you the way to phrase it, it would drive you into ketosis and then it refreshes your body's memory and systems on like, hey, uh, you can get fuel this other way. And if you do it every once in a while, it's it's not painful at all. And then you'll notice all these great benefits like throughout the day. Um, you're not starving. for You don't have blood sugar crashes or anything because your body's trained itself. You've trained your body to be able to get extra energy when it's needed. And then you go right back to eating normally. Um, day in and day out for a few days or however long you want. And then um, you avoid all these uh, metabolic uh, thyroid and stuff like that from being low carb all the time, which will um, is possibly uh, not good for you. So that's just my experience. Um, you can try it if you want. You're on your own. <laughs> all right, I got to go. Got to get to the Whistlebork outbank. All right, a little more training log here. I'm running with Kona. I got his 15-foot retractable leash in one hand. Let's go over here to the meet. And here's the birds, occasional car. We're getting off of a major road here. Not major, major. And uh, we're gonna start running on this other road. All right, a few things happened. Yesterday, went in and got, uh, that's the Garmin picking up the uh, auto pause. Starting running again. When you're running a dog, they want to stop and sniff stuff, stuff so it's easy to put it on auto pause, and that way you don't forget <laughs> to turn it off and on. And oh man, I got uh, oh I left work early yesterday, took vacation time. The tattoo artist that I've been using is um, such in high demand; they don't work at night. They work during the day until about until the evening. This is what you can do when you own your own business successfully and do a good job. They, they don't have crappy clientele. They get to charge more and they get to dictate their hours. 
So I went, I took vacation time Friday afternoon and um, drove over to Bryan, which is our sister city, and got three and a half hours of tattoo work done on my uh, upper sleeve, like elbow up to chest, right pec kind of area. And it goes over my shoulder too. But anyway, and last time I went, it was so painful that I, uh, I was gritting my teeth. I think I cracked a tooth from that tattoo section. And what else happened? I was traumatized emotionally just from the exhaustion of clinching the two and a half hours that time. And I was just writhing in pain. And the tattoo artist said, uh, there's two types of people. People where it hurts when they're getting tattoos, but then the recovery, let me flip it around so it makes a better story. There's people where it doesn't really hurt that much getting tattoos, and they're like, what do you mean it hurts? And it feels good. A slight burn kind of feels good. And then, but then their recovery. Oh, wait. <laughs> I got it all backwards. Anyway. There's, I'm the type, oh my gosh, I got to start over. I'm the type where he said, it really hurts during the tattoo, but the recovery doesn't hurt at all. And I'm like, what? There's a recovery? And he's like, yep, <laughs> you're that kind. <sighs> Apparently, like half the people have a, like, it hurts for days and days afterwards. And I was like, I have no idea what you're talking about. So anyway, today I used my triathlete brain and used some science and smarts. And I did research on the internet and found out that you can put lidocaine cream on before you go in and get your tattoo done. And then it doesn't hurt anywhere near as bad. And that's what I did. And I sat there for three and a half hours and got tattooed. It was all the shading and everything it takes forever. And I almost fell asleep because I was just like, ah. Oh. So my point is, is do research and look up the science and your life can be a whole lot easier. And the Cliff, the tattoo guy, said, oh yeah, sometimes people come in and put on lidocaine. If they're one of these people that it really hurts and it's they writhe and flinch in the chair, I like it way better. It's easier for me, the tattoo artist, he said, to do this when people are um, numbed up. Anyway, so there was that yesterday. And still, in spite of all that, I felt good enough where I still got in a bike ride. And I was riding uh, southern New Zealand, the southern tip of the North Island of New Zealand. New Zealand is two islands. And I was riding it on real-time athlete. Hold on, I need to pause for a second. young couple walking with their two little girls on bicycles with training wheels and I put a um, I put a uh, monitor on a music stand in front of the bike like a 27 inch monitor and hooked up my computer to it my laptop and ran real-time athlete and what it does is it stitches together Google Street View into a uh, into a ride so you plan your route ahead of time where you want to ride and it's awesome 
gotten tired of his whiffed. And uh, his whiffed is so competitive that you'll end up riding too hard. So I need to take a break from it. Oh, this is nice. All right, we are in the Zentri Mobile Studios with foggy windows. All right, leaving the hizzle. Going to the whistle. <laughs> Going to work. Had an interesting weekend of uh, training. Thought I'd share what works and what doesn't. And uh, let's get rolling here. Okay, so Saturday, if I included the run portion of that uh, in into this podcast, into the training log, it got kind of scattered kind of here and there because Kona is this uh, big dog I have that... <clears throat> likes to drag me all over the place and it's hard to run with him and the microphone in one hand so I get kind of scatterbrained and it makes for bad podcasting because I have to edit out all the silences and stuff it's tough but what you heard there is what I probably did was um, two hours bike in the morning if I recall correctly I have to look at my uh, training peaks and then one hour run later in the day to kind of come up for three hours for the day and uh, that's nice, and that's how you do things and fit them around, you know, family stuff. Kai had a soccer game, and he also had a friend come over. Maybe I did the run in the morning and the, the bike in the, uh, yeah, I did the bike in the evening. And that all worked out all right. Um, but what's better is what I did on Sunday, which was I strung them all together. So I did a two-hour bike ride and then a one-hour run in the uh, afternoon. And um, if you string stuff together, that's a better training uh, stimulus because you're practicing for uh, the real event. Uh, separating things out isn't, you're not really training your metabolism so much. You're not training your endurance. You're getting fast for short bursts of time, but um, it's a whole other skill and art to go continuously. So a three hour training day all at once is, does the trick. And what I did was, what what you learn to do is two hours of biking. Oh, there's the Dave Scott workout, which is bike an hour, run an hour, bike an hour, run an hour, bike an hour, run an hour, or, you know, different ratios. But you go back and forth and back and forth and uh, continuously, and that teaches you respect for the run. It is really hard to run after biking, uh, so you need to uh, train yourself to bike correctly because you're going to be running later. And... If you use heart rate and uh, let's say you have a power meter and you do watts and you can uh, go in your aerobic zone, your kind of zone two. And so I kept it around uh, high 120s, mid 120s. Uh, once I got into 130 heart rate, uh, you got to kind of watch that a little bit. And, uh, and I'm 40, 42, 43 years old, so you do 180 minus your age, and that's probably your top end limit of what you should do aerobically. And you gotta keep remembering, this is a three hour workout where people fail in triathlon is they think, oh, this is a two hour bike ride and then a one hour run. No, that's not how it works because you're breaking things down too small. That's how you, that's a coping mechanism. What you need to think of is this is a three hour workout. What would I be doing if I was biking for three hours? How hard would I bike now, right? And then, uh, and, and the one, the last hour is going to be kind of tough on the legs. How hard would I bike right now? Well, you'd bike a lot easier and that's what works. 
So then now you're biking a little bit easier. The numbers are almost, almost nearly as good as if you were biking two hours, but now you can run. You can run and you can have a nice, enjoyable run workout. And so on the run, um, it's it's a warmer day. So I noticed I started getting a little bit dehydrated towards the end of the run. Uh, and what happens there is your heart rate starts climbing and climbing. Your blood gets thick because it's not as hydrated, and you um, you run. Yeah, you the pressure that your heart has to push the stuff makes your makes your uh, the thicker blood makes your heart have to work a little bit harder. <sighs> Man, it's a little rough out there, you know. And this is Texas, and it's starting to get a little bit warm, even though it's uh, February. All right, hold on. All right, are we back? Okay, I have to go through a school zone. And, whew, man, uh, later that afternoon and evening, I started developing a headache and I was hungry. And what that means is you're dehydrated. And that was mostly from doing the run. So I learned from this one, um, I was very well hydrated on the bike, but on the run, I only drank 20 ounces of water. And I know for my sweat rate, that I uh, I lose probably a liter, liter and a half, maybe up to two liters if it's really hot, of uh, water per hour. So um, what I should have done to recover better, not be miserable, is while I'm running, carry a uh, not only my 20 ounces of water, but my additional water. And um, <clears throat> the people that I coach, I was talking to one guy that I coached the other day about this, and um, it's not... If you're training, you're not uh, you're not hydrating for today. You're not hydrating for this minute's workout. You're hydrating and eating for tomorrow and the day after and the day after because it's kind of like um, not hydrating correctly for today uh, is kind of like uh, drinking alcohol. There's these really funny videos where they show um, uh, smoking weed versus uh, drinking. And they get them about the same amount of intoxicated, inebriated. And then I have them do like skills tests. <laughs> the the weed person, the marijuana person is like really creative <laughs> with their failing. The drunk person like falls asleep and starts crying. Um, but anyway, uh, the next day they interview the uh, person that was either drunk or high the day before. And the drunk person feels like crap. Right, they want to call in sick to work. They got a massive headache, all this stuff, sick to their stomach. And the uh, the marijuana candidate is, uh, eh, yeah, I feel okay. Maybe ate a little bit too much or something. And uh, if that, just like nothing. And that's the way you want to feel training. You want, and there's ways to do that, is to hydrate correctly, and then you can train day after day after day. It's consistency in uh, triathlon training that makes you really, really great. So it's kind of like getting a good night's sleep and hydrating and boom, you can train over and over and over again. It's pretty cool. Now let's see uh, what else happened. I'm interviewing uh, Rob Gray today and he's the Ultraman Florida winner. I'm really excited about that. Um, I've been uh, mixing in a little bit more recovery than usual. You know, a three-hour total day on Saturday and a three-hour day on Sunday uh, is plenty for right now. All I've got coming up is a uh, half Ironman in April, uh, Galveston, and then an Ironman in Canada, 
um, Whistler in, uh, gosh, what is that? July, August. I think it's around my birthday in July, end of July. And, oh, I've signed up for a, um, a, uh, a charity ride that has a hundred mile option. <laughs> so I'm going to time trial that pretty much as a, as a, as a single workout. So I kind of have to start doing the math. A hundred mile bike ride is four and a half hours on a time trial bike, maybe five hours, maybe it kind of depends on, you know, how you want to treat the day. Is it a training day or is it a race day? You know? Oh, on the, um, on the three hour day yesterday, um, if you're training aerobically, what you do is you just keep going easy. Like I said, I kept it in zone two the entire time until the very last 10 minutes. And because I still had energy, tons of energy on the very last 10 minutes, I put in a dose of uh, kind of zone three, which worked the legs really nicely in the last 10 minutes, which was nice because then I didn't mess up my workout by doing that uh, too soon. And um, metabolism wise, uh, I've been working on, I got a runny nose from a uh, coworker came in sick to work the other day and ne- had to come in. Um, and then uh, now we've all got snuff- sniffly noses. It's okay. And the, uh, um, blah, the metabolism thing, uh, what's going on with that is I've done a few workouts uh, fasted or nearly fasted, very low carb and purposely kind of bonked. And then on, I don't remember about Saturdays, but Sunday's workout, I, I did totally normal, uh, fueling like carbohydrate. And the, what was really, really cool was the practice from going low carb allowed me to do correct carb on, um, on Sunday. So it gave me the confidence to not overfuel. Oh my gosh, I don't, uh, you know, I'm a, I need some energy. Um, I'm feeling a little low. Pour on sugar. No, you don't need to. You've got um, the ability to uh, to put on put on a little bit of sugar and let your fat burning catch up and slow your pace down, and then boom, you feel fine, absolutely fine. I did maple syrup plus uh, maltodextrin and sea salt, and I don't know. Um, I had an Amrita bar with me in case I wanted to nibble on something solid. Never really did. Um, I'm not. I'm not positive maltodextrin. My body uh, likes maltodextrin so much. Um, but anyway, I had a really successful workout on Sunday uh, by uh, training normal carb. They say uh, low carb train train low, race high. Well, sometimes if you got a big training day, uh, train medium, <laughs> not train low. And uh, we'll talk to Rob Gray about uh, dosing yourself with uh, really low carb uh, to kick that metabolism into gear. And we'll probably cover that earlier in the show. Interesting stuff. All right, that's it. I'm going into W to the ERK. Let's do it. Out. Bang. Hey, hey. I'm on my way to W to the ERK. Oh, there's a neighbor driving. I need to wave. Hey, how's it going? Okay. I have two uh, really interesting things for you. One, what do you want to talk about first? You want to talk about leadership? Or do you want to talk about, oh, chasing numbers? Let's talk about chasing numbers. All right. Uh, Let's see. Last night I got on the bike and I started working out. I even tweeted for self-motivation that I was going to be riding on Zwift last night. And uh, that helps me. It may help you get stuff done. You uh, publish out there that you're going to do something. That way at least you do it on time. 
And so I got on the bike and I started pedaling along and I felt tired and I, uh, my power and my heart rate was low. It was taking me forever to warm up. I did not want to pour sugar all over the problem. So I was just kind of pedaling along and two things hit me. One, that's a sign that you need to not train if uh, you're just bleh. And then, because uh, you can get into overtraining and if you if you try even though your body's not responding well then what you're doing is you're relying on uh, hormones and stuff like that to uh, adrenaline you know to uh, caffeine uh, to get the job done and that's kind of like pouring sugar on the problem it doesn't uh, it's a very short-term solution which will end up wearing you out you need to take a break and let those systems recharge what what your body's telling you is those systems are low and uh, yeah, you can push through it, but only at the end of a race. <laughs> That's a once in a rarity kind of thing. You shouldn't be doing that on a regular training day. You're not improving yourself. Training is to improve yourself, and you're making yourself worse. And the other thing was, uh, yeah, so you should you should just consider strongly, strongly consider. Uh, taking a break. Oh, Kai injured his foot in soccer practice, uh, twisted his ankle, and he had a um, a big celebratory uh, uh, run at school that he was supposed to go do. To um, he's in runners club, and they're having their last big run of the of the year, and um, and then they're going to meet up for uh, uh, what I don't like: sugary drinks, uh, Sonic brand um, slushies, and uh, to celebrate at the park and I said you are not going to run with your twisted ankle if you learned anything from me and all my injuries um, if you're injured running then you've got triathlon season coming up and you cannot make this thing worse so uh, you're not running today and he's like oh but I want and I I said dude you will be the center of attention uh, not running think about it like that he's like really and I'm like yeah you not running is going to be a big deal, and everybody's going to be talking about how you didn't run, and people are going to think that you're actually uh, kind of cool. Um, they're going to be thinking about you, and uh, you could be one of the many that are running, or you could be the only one that's not running and be there. And uh, so we emailed the coach. Emily did, and Carbon copied me on it. And the uh, the coach said, yep, don't worry about it. I'll take care of him. And in the email, we said he's got triathlon season coming up, so we, we can't uh, have a busted-up ankle. Okay, so there's that. I guess that was my third thing. And so back to the chasing the numbers. Um, one way that you can get in this point of being overtrained, starting to get overtrained, it's okay to start to get overtrained as long as you pull the plug, is uh, Zwift has a problem where it has the, your heart rate, but it's got your watts up on the top left, and you got people all around you who, who you don't know where they're from or their background, and uh, they're passing you up, going uphill, they're passing you on flat ground. And you end up uh, trying to keep up with these people, and it wears you out. You do a couple of training sessions on Zwift, and you're toast. So there's an alternative. There is a huge alternative. Uh, what my favorite is uh, realtimeathlete.com. Realtimeathlete.com. If you go there, you can plot a map out of where you want to ride, and it you set it to like 22 miles per hour. And the, uh, it uses Google Street View, so it's still frames, but they go by pretty quickly. And after just a minute, you're used to it, so it doesn't look weird anymore. It doesn't look uh, 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 jaggedy. Uh, it ends, mentally, it kind of smooths out. Hold on, just a second. All right, I'm back. So the uh, the thing I'm doing is I'm riding the 
the uh, I'm riding New Zealand, and I've already ridden most of the North Island, and now I've moved over to the South Island, and I'm on this journey where I'm I've got this this thing I'm going to do. I'm going to be able to say that I've ridden all of New Zealand, and I rode it on a beautiful day because they only take Google Street View shots on a beautiful day, and but. I managed to do all this without having to pay all the money to go to New Zealand. So I get to eat my uh, my home food, uh, do it on my time, and I'm riding New Zealand an hour, two hours, three hours at a time. And so I've started, I've done, yeah, I'm on the uh, South Island and there's no, um, there's terrain, but there's no, um, there's no watts and... Uh, so, and there's nobody else. It's just you just riding along casually. So I listen to podcasts. I listen to the anti-procrastination podcast and listen to the slow home podcast while I'm just riding along. And then what I do is I imagine that I'm, um, I imagine that I'm biking to work. My, my work commute is pretty short. It's like 20 minutes in real, real life, 15 minutes. So I just imagine that I imagine that I'm biking to work about an hour. And you can do this on the treadmill too. You can set this up in front of your treadmill and just run. And the street view goes by. And I've done that too. So I've biked and run a little bit of New Zealand. And uh, when I'm done, I'll be able to say that I've uh, I've ridden New Zealand in a way, sort of. You know what I mean? But in a beautiful, <laughs> every day was beautiful. <laughs> um, anyway, realtimeathlete.com. So... Uh, but the lack of numbers and the lack of other people passing me and everything, just uh, I just pedal along and I'm listening to mellow stuff. And um, by the end of the hour, I was uh, doing really 230 watts, uh, nice heart rate, just cruising along. Uh, and that was this morning. And it's just really, really nice to be able to do that. And it's totally different than chasing numbers. And it's a, it's a good way to keep from getting overtrained and uh, and being too competitive with other people. All right, then also I had a lunch, a one-on-one lunch with somebody really important, a assistant fire chief. And our fire department here in town is pretty big. We've got five, six, I think we've got six different fire stations. So, um, and boy, firemen are, a lot of them are ex-military, um, and they're all very well trained to be uh, immediately responsive and lots and lots of training, lots of discipline, um, and st- life matters. You know, they do the things that matter, and they're also really trained in rest and recovery. They'll do a, a, a shift of a few days at a fire station, and when they're not out fighting a fire or saving somebody out of a, a vehicle pileup, they're relaxing, 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 relaxing eating, relaxing, and then bam, action, right? So they are just like professional athletes. It's really amazing. Uh, Lots of, and when they're in their downtime, they also do training, just lots and lots of training, but everything has to be first response, um, uh, move fast. They have to be out of the fire station in 90 seconds from a call. And I, I think that's like the worst case scenario. And that means on the truck moving from watching TV to on the truck moving in 90 seconds in full uniform. It's crazy. And the, um, the coolest thing, uh, many, many cool things happened in our conversation, but he said something uh, that I wanted to pass on to everybody. It's so wise. He said, you know the difference between getting a new guy to wash a fire truck and getting a veteran 
a guy that's been around 10 years or something like that to wash a truck. And I thought for a minute and I said, no, what would be, cause I thought I could come up with something stupid, but, um, you know, ask somebody that knows. And I said, no, tell me. And he said, the new guy, you tell him, wash this fire truck <laughs> and he'll do it because he has to do it because he's a new guy. But the veteran, you walk by the fire truck and you go, this fire truck looks dirty. And then you don't say anything else and you keep on uh, walking. You go, fire truck looks dirty. This looks kind of dirty over here. And then uh, you just keep on walking. And the difference is the, uh, the new guy, you know, he has to do, uh, he's learning. Uh, he'll do it. He has the energy to um, take on new tasks, uh, discipline, disciplinary action will keep him, you know, in line. The veteran, they, if you tell a veteran what to do, they will get mad because you're treating them like they don't know what to do, right? They'll get defiant. And the, the way uh, that you get them to do something is you just point out that something's not exactly uh, correct. And because they've been there for a while, they feel ownership over their job, right? And they, they want to feel independent and they want to feel ownership and they want to feel control over the situation. <clears throat> and if you treat them like a new guy, they're going to feel out of control and they're going to rebel. They're going to like, well, I'll watch it whenever I get around to it. But if you just point out that something's a little bit dirty, they'll get the idea in their own mind. I should, I'm going to clean that, right? There's your ownership, your own self-direction. And it feels good. And it gives them choices. They chose to clean it uh, right now. And it gets them engaged. It's really fascinating. So I wanted you to take that with you on your daily journey, uh, dealing with people at work, uh, people at home, um, if something, if somebody's new to something, you give them uh, explicit directions and do it now, and because uh, they don't know the value of doing it, they're going to learn eventually over time. And if something, if you're dealing with somebody that's uh, you know been in that environment for a long time and they've they they're an expert in that area already, sorta, they're experienced, then you uh, just point out that uh, this thing needs this thing's uh, not not up to spec just a little bit. But don't tell them to do anything. And then watch what happens. It's crazy, huh? All right, I'm at W to the ERK. And I think next we'll wrap up this episode. All right, out, bang. All right, let's go ahead and wrap up this show. I'm upstairs in the training cave. Let's go ahead and close this door. Got my cat staring at me. You can come in or you can come out. Which one do you want? I'm closing the door. Closing the door? Typical cat, right? If the door's closed, they want in. And uh, listening to the Joe Rogan podcast, they're doing a little wrap up of the uh, Conor McGregor fight, which was awesome. Nate Diaz is a uh, triathlete in his spare time, and he beat up somebody pretty good. <laughs> and he said he wasn't even in training uh, going into that. And it was funny listening to the podcast. They said, uh, or listening to the live broadcast. Uh, <laughs> Nate Diaz, he's training for the triathlon. They always call it the triathlon because everybody that doesn't do triathlon thinks it's all one thing. It's all Ironman Hawaii. That's what I thought before I got started doing triathlon is uh, when somebody asked me, hey, do you want to do triathlons? I said, the one in Hawaii, that monstrous thing? They said, oh, no, there's shorter distance ones. There's sprints and everything. And I was like, oh, okay. Uh, no. <laughs> well, I said, maybe. Uh, what time is uh, practice? And they said, well, swimming is 5.30 tomorrow morning. And I said, no, because I grew up uh, going to early swim team practices. And I was like, never again. Those suck. But guess where I was the very next morning in 2002, 2001, something like that. Anyway, um, 
We are back. I want to mention, oh, listen to the Joe Rogan podcast if you want dude time. It'll get your testosterone up listening to dudes all the time. It's a mix of smart and also uh, rough and tumble fun stuff. It's pretty good. And also, let's see, I want to mention donations to the show. If you found Zen in the Art of Triathlon a uh, helpful Fun, happy show that gets you uh, training better and smarter uh, with the tips and stuff that I give, then you can donate to the podcast and help keep it on the air. It really does help pay the bills. Every little bit counts. And the easiest way is to go to the left side of zentrathlon.com and look for the PayPal uh, support donation uh, page. You can give a one-time donation or you can give a you can give a recurring donation for a three Three ninety-five a month is what I said it at, just under four bucks a month, and yeah, it's uh, really really cool. And if you do that, you get your name mentioned on the show every time I get a donation. I write it down on my list, and I mention it right about now. But let me go ahead and mention this one. Matt Biggin sent in an email, and I want to mention it real quick. Let me go click on the list here. There we go. I'm drinking red wine after my bike ride. I was uh, riding my bike on the trainer around New Zealand on realtimeathlete.com. Realtimeathlete.com. You create a course and just pedal along. It's really awesome. Okay, so Matt Biggin. That's a really cool uh, last name. Is that for real? Anyway, it says, Hi, Brett! Exclamation point. Oh, by the way, I always say the exclamation points. If you put one in, I say it. Uh, long-time listener here. I've been listening since the start, and I am 26 years old today! Exclamation point. Your podcast, should I do all the punctuation? Has brought me through long workout sessions, commutes, and work in general even just at home in my leisure time. I just wanted to quickly give my gratitude. Ooh, that's a word that does not get said on this podcast very often. I like it. Let's say it more. Gratitude, gratitude, gratitude. Uh, Keep up the great work and keep the rubber sign down. Uh, Smiley face. Yeah, I've uh, wrecked a few times recently and it sucks. I pride myself in trying not to wreck too much and not wrecking very often. And uh, lately, I have not been living up to my my goals. Uh, you are the most authentic podcaster that I have found after trying, in all caps, trying to find more podcasts that are as interesting as yours. Comma, I cannot! Exclamation point. You keep it real, especially when you bring us along on the training runs. Oh, man. I used to bring everybody along on the bike rides, but then my bike rides were too... Um, now, uh, I'm riding my tri-bike all the time and in the aero bars and flying on skinny tires out there. It's actually really dangerous. And so I, I don't do junk miles on the bike anymore. So I am, uh, it's too dangerous to record on the bike. Man, I used to have a setup. It was cool. In stereo with 18-wheeler trucks going around me and motorcycle gangs and all kinds of stuff. It was cool. Uh, I am slowly moving up the corporate ladder and almost finished with school. Buying a house and such. Once funds come in, your show will def, all caps, def, be the one I donate to. Okay, sorry. Uh, someday... I break into Swedish accent every once in a while. Someday it'll be nice to be coached by you, period. Until then, exclamation point. Warmest regards, Matthew R. Biggin. (laughs) I love that last name. Thanks, dude. That really means a lot. It means a ton. Uh, Yeah, um, I try to keep it authentic. Um, I started podcasting at the very, 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 very beginning when people were trying to figure out how to podcast and what worked. And... um, and it was more of a diary. Everybody did kind of just a diary of what they were doing and um, kind of like talking to a therapist. And I've kept that style. And that's where we are, are. That's where we are here today. 
And uh, yeah, now they've gotten way more corporatized and uh, ad-centric, big budget and stuff. And I just talk into my phone. And, you know, I used to talk just into a handheld MP3 recorder. And uh, I just talk on my phone and just do my thing and share. I've always thought about doing, uh, you know, one episode is all about how to do the, how to ride on the trainer. And another episode could be all about um, high fat. Um, But there's too much. And instead of having one episode specifically about one thing, triathlon is going on all the time with everything. So what I do is I just mention little things here and there as I do them. And collectively, they make a show. And then over the period of a year, or half a year maybe, I cover everything. So you get little tidbits kind of here and there. Because that's how real life works. And I don't have... I'm a, I'm a real triathlete. A real age grouper. Where I'm training for Ironmans, and I have a family and a full-time job. So I don't have the time to schedule. I've tried. And it doesn't work uh, with my life. Um, I don't have the time to do... Uh, fancy shows with uh, spe- specific content and lots of planning. It's way easier for me just to grab the mic when I think of something to say it and then append, 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 append all into one file and then we've got a show. Along with an interview, hopefully, every single time. Okay. Whew. Now, uh, let's see. Uh, more donations. I got a bunch because I've been a little slow on the shows lately because I did the self-supported Ultraman recently and it burned me out on just energy and triathlon, uh, sorta, you know, just, just like, man, I need to kind of take a break. So the shows have been coming out like every other week or every third week. So, um, uh, but that's just a temporary thing. We go with the flow and, uh, they'll start picking back up again pretty soon as we get training for, Ironman Canada, there's uh, Galveston Half Ironman coming up, Ironman Canada, and maybe at the beginning of the show I'll mention, I'm going to record that last because I throw news in the beginning of the show, and um, if I'm totally in on this one race, I'll mention it then. It's really, really, really big, and I don't want to say I'm in something until I know for sure that I am, but it will be uber (laughs) cool. All right, uh, other donations. James Von Hippel, it looks like hippie almost, but James Von Hippel. Uh, is a new donor. Thank you, man. Uh, Richard Tragutititi. Uh, Spiros Fetsis. What's up, dude? From Libertyville, Illinois, I believe. Uh, Erica Dennison. Peter Salzen. What's up, dude? I got my eyes on you. I'm watching. Uh, Justice Phillips. Tyler Moyer. Hun Chu. Oh, man. How's Hun Chu doing? Richard Stewart. Houston Marsh. Let me move my screen and scroll. Oh, man. It's a good thing when you have enough donors that you have to scroll. Isn't that cool? Oh, man, that makes me feel good about what we're doing here. Uh, M. Webb, James Godek, Matthew Heinz. What's up, dude? Fighting Texas Aggie. Uh, Allison Frutos, Matthew Froese, and Brian Kemper, Todd Nelson, Jason Drury, Connor Sanders, Daniel Stark, Joseph Rogalski. What is up, my man? Jessica Woodruff and Dwayne Morin. Oh, Morin, that's a thing in the news. Dwayne Morin had, uh, he was behind the escape. Oh, what was the name of that prison? It was a prison in Louisiana, and um, they had to stop the race because people complained. So many people complained and threatened the race directors that it was insensitive to hold a race um, near the prison or maybe even on the prison grounds, even though they were raising money to give back to the prisoners to um, go into, I believe, into their education fund to buy books and and degrees and stuff like that. So it's a weird world we live in is all I can say. Okay, hold on. I'm drinking my red wine. Mm. And, uh, yeah, so... 
you can uh, help the show that way if you found this show helps you, and that's what I'm here for. I've been doing this long enough where I'm just here to help other people uh, get along and do this kind of thing. It's actually totally doable, and it's uh, fun. And another way to uh, help out is to check out Hornet Juice, which um, is a amino acid powder. It's a protein powder that you mix in with your with your fluids uh, and your carbs. Like we heard in the interview with Rob Gray, he adds in his own little protein stuff. Well, that's the exact same thing as Hornet Juice. You add a little bit of protein, except that Hornet Juice is the specific exact same blend that the Japanese killer hornet uses to have lots and lots of sex. I'm just kidding. To fly really, really far and uh, metabolize body fat. And this stuff is really crazy. I remember the first time I ever used it, I was out on a long bike ride and I was just off the front like crazy. It was really, really weird. And uh, Tri Boomer was on that ride and uh, Greyhound was the name of another guy. And uh, they were like, dude, what is up? And I'm like, I don't know, man. It's got tons of power. I just feel like I can keep riding and riding and riding. That was uh, two bikes ago that I started using that stuff. And it really works. And you can get that on the right-hand side of uh, the zentrathlon.com webpage. It's a nice little link. And you get something cool. You get something to show off to your friends. And um, you also help support the show all at the same time. After the Nate diaz Connor McGregor fight, um, somebody posted me on Twitter. <laughs> Man, imagine if Nate Diaz was on uh, Hornet Juice. Actually, somebody posted a picture of a torn-up room, like a torn-up apartment with a mattress all turned over and holes in the wall. And they said, this is what happens when endurance athletes use Hornet Juice for sex. It's really funny picture. Let me see if I can scroll back and find it. And uh, it looks like they lost their deposit on their apartment. <laughs> Oh, man. Let's see. I talked with um, Eleanor Pell about uh, sugar. I learned something. Um, yeah, drunk triathlete on Twitter, swim, also known as at uh, swim bike drink, all one word, posted at me this really funny picture of a torn up room. And he says, oh, damn, there goes my deposit. Hornet juice fueled endurance sex. There's nothing to be joked about. <laughs> Triathletes have enough endurance as it is. And you get two of them in the bedroom together, and then you add in Hornet juice, and you're going to lose your deposit on your house, on your apartment. So don't do it. Do not buy Hornet juice if that's what you're going to use it for. It is not authorized for that. It's for sports only. Okay. Um, I think that's all we're going to do for the show. Uh, 33 Shake. Don't forget Zentri or Zentriathlon. Uh, 33 Shake is the uh, discount code. Let me go look for it. Let me see if I have it at the top. Zentri 33 Shake. Capital Z, capital T, 33, capital S. Zentri 33 Shake is a discount code, I think, for 15% off of uh, 33 Shake stuff with chia seeds. I've been putting more chia seeds in my uh, food, and I like it. It fills you up, man. And um, they're really high in soluble fiber, which is critical. Um, people have found to be uh, the key to weight loss is upping your soluble fiber and hydration. And uh, chia seeds take a lot of water with them through your digestive tract. Digestive tract. So that's pretty cool. And I think that is it. I want to also mention nothing else. Let's go ahead and wrap this show up so I can push this baby out. <laughs> All right, that's it. 
Everybody stay safe out there. Work the uphills, cruise the downhills, and keep the rubber side down. Love you all. Out, bang. Oh, my God.